Welcome to Pod Damn America, the goth socialist podcast for vampires that want healthcare. Um, trigger warning. I'm going to use an offensive word in the first interview. Just heads up. Um, I don't know where you people come from. Some of you might be very wholesome people who that, uh, you know, such warnings would be a uh, perfectly polite, reasonable thing to do uh, or to give you. Um, Some of you are fucking freaks from Reddit who laugh at the very idea. Well, it's a big tent here, guys, so you get along with each other. You fucking people that uh, read about me in some wholesome news source, um, you're going to have to get along and hang out with um, the, you know, the the weird 4chan uh, furry gore people that came from come town and uh hate me <laughs> but listen to the show anyway and i don't give a fuck man i got your money um <laughs> hello welcome to the show it is a very hot turgid bushwick summer morning today wednesday september 5th 2018 it's um sun's coming up birds are chirping the rats are Exhausted. I'm exhausted. Still, it's morning. I'm already exhausted. The uh, the 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 barbers guys out there, the Bushwick barbers, are all doing that one fucking haircut they love to do, where it's you know just close cropped and brushed to the side, and combed with like some sort of gel. Big beard. Fucking boots look like you build furniture and shit, but you don't. You got no fucking idea how to make anything. Um, there's these guys running around Bushwick that just uh, there's these like local like like neighborhood guys like like act not like gentrifiers like the people that live in the neighborhood that just get four wheelers and just put on these World War One Kaiser helmets and scare the shit out of everyone. Drive up Bushwick Avenue. They're out. They're having fun. It's a good day. Um, I'm excited about. The episode we have this week uh, because you know I have a lot to say about it. a lot of times this podcast is like uh, me bringing on a guest and going oh fuck explain something that you think about all the time and that you have a lot of experience on right but um, but I've wanted to do like a sort of comedy episode and I think we're gonna keep doing them but I wanted to do one um, specifically about this uh, this stand-up comedy special that came out a couple months ago and sort of uh d- d- destroyed comedy for <laughs> a couple of weeks um started you know big fights um shook the fabric of the comedy scene itself uh you know i i found it kind of fascinating I got involved in some bullshit over it myself and i wanted to um to talk about it because you know it's really interesting the implications that are going on here like why all this what you know what why you know like what is going on with the culture right now it's re- it's really interesting so so uh for anyone uninitiated i think if you really want to kind of follow what we're talking about this week you don't really need to but i just want to give a warning up top if you really want to know what we're talking about um you should watch nanette the netflix comedy special and um maybe if you want to go even crazier and do 
to double homework for this, like I did. Um, also watch Drew Michael, which is the new HBO comedy special by this comedian named Drew Michael, because we're going to talk about both of those in depth and at length. Um, but if you don't want to, um, I'm going to give you a little background information up front about what both of those things are. So, Nanette um, is basically this comedy special that came out uh, seemingly out of nowhere, at least to us in the States, it, um, probably because you know it was a, a special by this woman, Hannah Gadsby, from Tasmania, from Australia, um, and it was received by all this press, uh, all this you know, positive, glowing, uh, you know, all these articles and clickbait and everything, um, it was heralded as the future of comedy, right? This is really interesting because then that caused, you know, a lot of people to, to, well, to discuss and sort of engage each other online, which is this sick, perverse thing now. And so instead of it turning into a conversation it's you know something people are referring to as backlash and uh you know hateful vitriol and whatever it's a big mess or whatever um and the reason it was so much of a thing is because it's kind of a meta thing that raised all these questions and blew up the idea of comedy it um it's basically this stand-up comedy special it starts off with this or i mean it's this um you know this comedian who's a queer woman who does about 20 minutes of uh, straight stand-up, pretty unremarkable, you know, normal material about her life. Um, and then, like, 20 minutes into it, she turns and sort of stops and goes, um, you know, she reveals this, you know, this big thing, which is that there was a story she told in the stand-up that she didn't tell you the end to because the end was that she was actually assaulted by this character in the story. She sort of poses this, you know, this argument that, you know, if I had told you that, you wouldn't have laughed. And therefore, you know, comedy is or isn't a thing that can accomplish all these goals or whatever. She gets really heady about it. She talks about art history. Um, and then it becomes sort of more of a one-person show after that. It's kind of a... Um, undefinable, like, multiple media thing. Um... And so, you know, at one point it turns into, like, this thing where she's you know, very angry and is, you know, it, you ask yourself, am I watching a comedy special anymore? Because this person's yelling about anger and, you know, it's um, it's really interesting. Um, so, we're going to get into this. There's all these different opinions people have about it. Um, just a little background on, like, why I even sort of gotten obsessed with this to begin with, or I became obsessed with it. Is that um, I was just watch I, I was just watching the trailer of it because I just heard about it, and uh, you know I'm <laughs> I spent a lot of time working at my fucking job and putting this show out, and uh, I don't get to watch every comedy special. I don't have the fucking time. Um, I have no, I haven't seen Westworld, you guys. I have no idea what you people are talking about. Um, but I watched I saw the trailer and I was sort of sitting idly at my job, um, you know, thinking Twitter's free. That's why I'm on it all day. Uh, and I was talking about some, just some thoughts I had having watched it and some predictions, uh, you know, about it and some, some implications that seemed to bother me. 
there were some things about it that seemed a little insulting, I think, to comedians, um, if I was reading it correctly. And so I started this Twitter thread that was like, hey, I haven't seen this, but it seems like this. And um, then some uh, some very established comedians got, uh, you know, pretty mad at me. Um, they didn't get mad at anyone else who was saying the exact same thing as me. <laughs> I'm a lightning rod of hate. So, um, you know, that's fine. I don't really give a shit if uh, Ian Carmel likes me. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know the guy, really. Uh, but, I don't know, it, it just caused... Uh, it to become this thing that I I thought about a lot and was having conversations with people about, and then eventually, um, this writer came out with a piece that sort of um, shared my point of view, I think, and mentioned me in it, and so I was like, well, I get time to do this. I have to, <laughs> you know, I should see what all the hubbub's about, and uh, I watched it. And then I, re I read this piece, and, you know, it's just sort of been causing more and more thoughts to bubble up. Um, I honestly just recorded, like, two hours of podcast about this, and I've s still, there's still sh shit to think about. Um, so after I watched it and after I talked to this writer, I c still just couldn't, I didn't feel finished, and so I had um, basically a... Uh, a good friend of mine who's, I think, a kind of a comedy genius and, a, you know, a social intellectual, a person who understands societies, I mean, she's an anthropologist who, you know, hangs out with comedians, that should be everything you need to know there, um, come on and talk to me and Anders about it and um, kind of share her point of view and then also just have fun and, you know, yell at each other and make jokes about it or whatever. Um, but in thinking about all this... Um, this other thing happened, which is that I was like, man, are we going to do a Nanette special, you know, months after it came out? It seems kind of weird. I was going to do it anyway. But then, lo and behold, <laughs> something else came out. Uh, this comedy special by this guy, Drew Michael, who's a comedian, who's extremely controversial, uh, who, like, I actually know. And, you know, comedians in New York no and he's kind of um and a lot of people don't like him he's kind of uh what's the word he's like a certain type of figure um and he came out with a special it was directed by Gerard Carmichael where he does this you know his style of comedy which is extremely um sort of navel gazing and you know, moping and whining about his, you know, masculine issues as a, as, as a dude and his relationships and stuff. And, and also making fun of himself for, you know, kind of self-aware about that. Um, but the thing is they directed this comedy special into this extremely avant-garde fashion where there's no audience and there's like kind of a narrative involving this actress that's in it and it's fucking insane um so you know somebody raised the question to me of like you know oh you guys hate hannah gatsby so much what do you think of this drew michael special and i thought it was a really good question also um you know raised the most important question of all how about a show called manette 
for the fellas. Um, <laughs> which is basically what Drew Michael's special was. Um, not really. They're they're really similar though, and they're in that they're both meta and they're both like about comedy and you know, uh, they're not straight stand up and they both caused a lot of you know weird arguments and assumptions to be made and people to call each other sexist and all this sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you, you should check them both out. Um, but I'm kind of like happy to report back that I, um, I watched them both with, you know, all sorts of ex- expectations and it just, just sort of came away really liking parts of them and really not liking parts of them, which I think if you're a, someone who works in a creative field, you know, you're an artist or whatever, like that's, a, that you kind of should come away with most things or come away from most things like that. Like if I was a film director, I think it would probably make sense if I watched, you know, every big major thing coming out right now. And instead of just going like, it's great and you're horrible if you don't like it, or it was terrible and you're an idiot if you do, like, you know, you should probably just have a big complex mixed bag of, uh, of takes and, you know, things to, to, uh, deconstruct about it and stuff i think that makes sense <laughs> that's that's sort of where i landed and you know I, who, who gives a shit um anyway i guess i just wanted to get that out of the way before before we went in so so if, if you if you don't want to take the time to check them out because you have a job and who the fuck has time to watch all these comedy specials those are basically the the, the summary of those two things um Nanette kind of has this thesis to it. I mean, it kind of ends with her making a lot of arguments about comedy and also, like, announcing that she's quitting comedy because it kind of has, you know, not served her in the way that uh, she thinks it should. And sort of from there, and from there, announces... Well, she also kind of says it it can't serve this purpose. And that's where things get kind of dicey and I think we disagree or whatever but we'll get into that in um the first of this of these two interviews the first of these two parts um first <clears throat> first I'm going to talk to Peter Moskowitz the writer who wrote this piece called the Nanette problem in the outline um really smart person I quite enjoyed uh you should follow them and read all their stuff um, so yeah, without further ado, uh, enjoy a whole fucking big mess of podcast about Nanette. Blah. Lock them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not All right. Uh, hi. Joining me today is um, Peter Moskowitz, author of uh, piece that came out in the outline called The Nanette Problem. Um, this piece was um, relayed to me by 
multiple different people, I think, for multiple different reasons. And I find it very interesting uh, because of that. Um, right off the bat, though, uh, I, I do want to say thanks for the blurb in the piece. Um, a couple people sent it to me because they're reading it, and then they said, oh, my God, this person mentioned me. Um, so that's, you know, that, that, that's how you got me hooked, I guess, from the, you know, from the get-go. Um, it was uh, smart to appeal to someone's ego. But um, we should get right into it. Um, I guess Peter Moskowitz. Um, t- tell, me, tell me about your, your, your experience with Nanette and why you wrote this piece. Sure. So, yeah, I don't even know how I first heard about Nanette, I think probably just seeing, you know, on my Twitter feed or Facebook or whatever, like tons of people uh, posting all these kind of insanely positive reviews about it. And, you know, these reviews weren't just like, oh, this is a good piece of comedy or like a great one woman show. It was like, this is the most revolutionary piece of artwork since, you know, 20 years in 20 years or something. <laughs> Whenever I see things like that, I am immediately suspicious because, um, you know, I don't think that the mainstream media is really good at gauging what is revolutionary. (laughs) Um, So I I was already uh, skeptical. Then I watched it and kind of skimmed through it and my skepticism was confirmed. And then, as I say in the piece, uh, I was like talking with my parents. I was at this big family reunion and I like literally in the back of my head was like, I hope my like straight cis family doesn't ask me about Nanette because they're all going to love it. <laughs> oh God, I hate it. Uh, and that like literally within five minutes of, of arriving at this family reunion, people started talking about Nanette and they were like, Oh, don't you love it, Peter? Cause like I'm queer or whatever. Right. And I was, yeah. And I just had to, and then it kind of clicked for me that the reason that I felt so uncomfortable with it was, you know, at the core of it, there are all these political reasons, but the core is really like, it's not, meant for people like me it's not it doesn't feel like it's meant to further any queer politics or to um actually engage um people in in a challenging way it's meant to like soothe the minds of uh straight cis people who want to feel as i say comfortably woke um and not actually challenge themselves and that that's what pissed me off about it the most. Yeah, I really liked um, the comparison you made in your piece about uh, it being like um, like a Macklemore album or something because it does deal with these um, sort of in-group, out-group problems where, you know, y- you will find yourself if you're actually in a group being, you know, condescended to by out-group people going, you like this, right? Oh, yeah, we, we assume that you like this. And it's, it, it's the, the very reason, you know that they know about it is probably the reason that someone in the group wouldn't actually like it. It's not something that's for um, people that are more specifically brushed up on a topic or something like that. Right. Um, it's, you know, Macklemore is a, <laughs> famously going to be liked by people that aren't hip-hop heads. It's accessible. Right. It's pop. Um, right. And it also doesn't mean that it's bad hip-hop either. It's just that it creates that problem. Um, right, good yeah and like i mean a comparison i didn't make but i think i probably should have is like it's kind of like hamilton in that way too where all of a sudden you have all these like 45 year old like white dudes who wear suits or whatever being like oh i uh now i know that rap is good and it's like <laughs> into that before like yeah. or like 
do you know rap could be political? And you're like, yeah, have you, like, it's been political for like 30 fucking years. <laughs> um, and that's what Nanette felt like, is like people watched uh, fucking Dane Cook special and then decided that's what all of comedy is. And then watched Nanette as like a solve to to that kind of terrible comedy and are all of a sudden like, oh my God, I, I never knew comedy could be this radical. I never knew that like, queers had this much anger or whatever and it's like well that's just because you're not paying attention you don't get like you don't get points for just now figuring it out because of this special <laughs> yeah i guess like the the interesting thing here is that the parallel i'm kind of seeing between you and me and our perspective on this is that like the the you know the the group that i feel most connected to in terms of this dissonance is, is comedians like for me i am somebody who's into comedy and i could list off 10 things that are you know way more political than this special and have more resonance and weight and are you know like you say actually revolutionary um and i i think uh you wrote in your piece you know that that same mechanism sort of applies to you as a, like a queer person right um so hannah gatsby's sort of manipulating those two groups in that way um something that i the, the reason that this <laughs> that nanette as a thing jumped out to me immediately and kind of you know got me suspicious and made me skeptical and got my hackles up uh was because uh, be, it, was, it wasn't so much in the net it was the journalism surrounding it and in particular there was there was this piece i'm gonna pull up right now so i'm gonna read a little bit of um there's a piece in vulture by um a writer by the name of matt zoller sites um the title was bill maher is stand-up comedy's past Hannah Gatsby represents its future. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting piece, and you know this writer does touch on some things that are kind of, you know, salient within the piece. But immediately upon hearing that, the the, the starting off point, the thesis is has two huge things wrong with it. One, to me, seems you know the, the huge problem seems to be that um, if you think Bill Maher is stand-up comedy's past. That means at some point you thought Bill Maher was stand-up comedy's future, or I'm sorry, present. <laughs> like yeah. you had to think that he was relevant at all, um, right. in order to frame it that way. And um, and then the other thing is, you know, if Hannah Gatsby is comedy's future, well, I mean, this whole special was about her denouncing comedy. So right. you're kind of saying that the the end, uh, you know, <laughs> the future of comedy is that it should stop. Um, right. And, to me, these things all smack of, uh, you know, the, a perspective of someone who d doesn't like comedy, which is okay. It's fine if you're not, you know, in this group. You just, you can just, you know, admit it and uh, move on. It doesn't have to be something that's for everyone. Also, there are different genres of comedy. There are different types of things, you know. It's right. not this monolithic thing. Yeah, and I mean, that's something, like, I was on the Outlines podcast and I term came up with this term like the wokeness industrial complex <laughs> and uh and i think it's like all of these you know like articles and think pieces about Nanette are part of the same system that promotes things like bill maher and all and louis ck and all of this other shit and it's like they they want to problematize everything and then uh and then once they get a chance to like find something like Nanette, then they can kind of feel like they've done their jobs by using that, like using the net as a, an ameliorant for all the things that they both popularized and problematized in the first place, if that makes sense. So it's like 
the, the media is the mainstream media is at fault for the reason that most comedy on Netflix is garbage, um, and then they use the net as like a cell to be like, oh, see, we don't we were able to critique ourselves, but they're not actually doing the work of like finding good comedy or radical comedy or comedy that holds anyone to account. And and that, you know, as a queer person, that really pissed me off, especially in the net, because she's saying that like comedy writ large is not a sufficient way to tell stories that only, you know, this is almost a direct quote, that only full stories can convey trauma, which I don't even know what that means. But even <laughs> if, if you think that's true, like look at the entire internet like every day there are a thousand essays by marginalized people by queer people by uh people of color whatever and that you know where people essentially exploit their trauma to tell their full story so that buzzfeed or whoever can get more clicks and that hasn't brought us any closer to any kind of justice uh or understanding than comedy has so to me it's not the fault of the form um as gatsby's tries to say it is it's the fault of this wokeness industrial complex that doesn't actually allow radical ideas uh to surface in any way yeah and i i agree and to that point something that i, I kind of keep thinking about is the, the the inherent root of this problem and the reason the thing that jumped out to me so intuitively when i first was even aware of this thing happening is that to me it's you know this is just a logical end of a bunch of shit i was already noticing which is that we've gone you know we so, sort of the 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 predominant idea in our culture for whatever reason be it you know the powerlessness of the left or just the just the insane amount of content we're putting out uh we've really latched onto this idea that um politics run downstream from culture and therefore when you make a piece of art it has you know an effect that then changes um society and the fact of the matter is i don't see myself as someone who is manipulating society when i do stand up I am the end result of it. I'm someone who's you know, the megaphone that's sort of telling you what is going on in society. And so, you know, for that reason, I don't see, like, also cultural tastes as being heavily political. Like, whether you liked or didn't like something is being treated as a political act, good and bad. You're being congratulated for liking Annette. You're being scolded for liking something else. And, you know, you're li liking something is is a reaction it's an emotional reaction that comes from your soul you know so to tell people that they're good or bad based on whether they like the movie or not is insulting to i think everyone involved the creators the person um yeah i mean and i think i mean i think you're totally right um i mean i do think that like books and media can like influence people to change things but i i think that the reason that we've come that we've been told that like culture has such significance is precisely because we don't have any political power right now. Like at the same time that Nanette exists and all these, you know, diverse shows are coming on television and, you know, the handmade tale and whatever else, like we're literally headed towards fascism. <laughs> so it gives us the sense of control and like uh, power, you know, to say like, Oh, I'm woke and you're not because you don't like Nanette. Um, when really the real problem is that we're all just fucking fucked. <laughs> right, so. right. I, the, the other thing about it that I think um, I think you may be kind of zeroing in on in some of this piece is um, there's, there's another th problem in comedy right now where 
Um, I think there's a split between how people use comedy, and I do really genuinely think that it it can you know work for people in different ways. But I am very much I believe very deeply in the uh, the idea that um, one really great function of comedy, and the reason that it speaks to me so much, is inverting trauma that happens to you right. taking right. something that's pain and then reversing it you know um wearing it as armor as is explained in like game of thrones you know um that that's like been from the get-go i started comedy a long time ago too before like i think a big cultural shift happened so like that was obvious to me to begin with and a lot of the reaction to comedians who operate that way now is to tell them no it's not that it's this other thing um right. and to me like the comparison i always give people is that uh when you when you tell people like why can't it what why do you have to do it like that why can't you do it in this you know this very obvious heavy-handed political way that i believe in it reminds me of a lot of um when people in the south where i'm from will try to convince you to play christian rock if you're going to play rock music at all you know right. uh why can't right. it be propaganda and um you know you can make propaganda that's <laughs> whatever um but to imply that the role of art is it, it should be you know this one way is kind of reductive yeah and it it places the blame on like the traumatized like that that was another reason that nanette uh kind of aggravated me was like she was saying she was talking as if she was elucidating to like privileged straight cis people how hard it is to be queer but then it, what it seemed like she was saying is queer people need to learn a better way to express their trauma and you know as as someone i talk about this in the piece but like my i my grandparents are holocaust survivors i come from a jewish family so like and comedy has been like super important within the context of my jewish upbringing um and like even the least woke comedy, like I mentioned, Sarah Silverman, uh, you know, having a bit where like she comes out on stage and says like, Jewish girls can be sexy. You just put on a little negligee and yoidle, doidle, doidle. <laughs> and like that, that has stayed with me for like the 10 years since I've watched it because it resonates so deeply with my own trauma about feeling like I can't be as sexy as I want or whatever. I can't, um, you know, that I look weird compared to other people or whatever. Um, and to be told um, implicitly, like through Nanette and through all the think pieces about it, that that's a wrong way to experience trauma feels so counterproductive to me. Like, who who are you to tell me, you know, Mr. Atlantic writer or vulture writer or whatever, that like there's a better way to do it? Yeah, and even you know Hannah Gatsby herself, who actually I you know I kind of came to like in watching this and I, mm -hmm. it, more than I thought I would. Um, but her her thesis is. You know, basically boiled down, what she's explaining is comedy was sold to me as this thing that is empowering and cathartic, um, which I do think it can be because it is for me. But she's saying it didn't work for me. Um, right. Therefore, it's bad for everyone. And I think that's like right. the huge problem. Right. And yeah. And like if if the if the special was less popular than it was i think i would have less of a problem with it because um yeah as you say like she's talking about her own personal experience and there are points where i really like feel for her and like think she's doing something you know semi-important and like kind of revealing her traumas and why comedy doesn't work to help heal her but to like one to dismiss that 
to dismiss all of comedy because of that seems unfair to me. But I think even more importantly to me is like, there's a reason that all these mainstream media outlets latched onto this piece. It's because it doesn't challenge them in any way. It's because she dismisses this entire art form and it's one that they didn't like in the first place or that they don't understand. Um, and, you know, as, like, as I say in the piece, it's like there's radical comedy going on. You can go to, like, you know, the basements of Brooklyn or whatever and, like, find radical comedy. It's just not going to be written up I, I was at a, a, a like a queer bar last night and I watched a clown do a noise set and <laughs> it was so good <laughs> it was so fucking funny because it was you know this person dressed in all this clown garb um d- kind of making fun of the concept of a noise set and how like abstract they are to begin <laughs> with with like the person assembling all the sounds and stuff and uh yeah i mean that's never gonna be like you know the future of comedy or whatever you know um i would love to live in that world though but unfortunately it's not <laughs> um yeah uh again it's, the 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 reaction to it is sort of the main the the, the most disturbing thing and i there's a part in your piece where you uh compared it to sort of what happened with this Ta-Nehisi Coates piece um in that it's sort of um the Ta-Nehisi Coates piece, similarly to Nanette, does this thing where it, it describes racism as something that is sort of abstract and inherent in society and sort of garners all this um, praise and reaction from the very people who are complicit in racism because it feels really good for them to read because it gets them off the hook for all the ways in which they are still very practically complicit and, you know, exactly. c- could do better. Right. Like, like, if Between the World and Me was called fuck you white people like <laughs> it would sold two million copies or whatever like people like to read it and think oh wow yes i am racist like good for me for recognizing that like anyway back to my job where like i exploit the earth for money or whatever like it's there's no there's no actual challenge in there to kind of put your money where your mouth is and i found the same thing in the net too where she's saying that she's subverting comedy to and she doesn't care about being readable to straight people and yet everyone who liked the special, or not everyone, but the vast majority from what I see of people who like the special are like straight cis white people who feel like now they understand queerness uh, without having to really do anything about it or challenge themselves in any meaningful way. Yeah, I feel like the reason that I had a real like hair trigger for this, the reason it evoked such a reaction for me to begin with is because... Um, I don't know how I really identify myself and I, whatever anyone wants to, you know, yell at me and call me is fucking fine. I'm, you know, I'm not going to take huge stands about it. This is a weird story. I, you know, all these people got mad at me when I, when I talked about Nanette to begin with, um, from like the mainstream, the people that are, you know, pro Nanette. And then I was just re I was rereading a bunch of old tweet threads and stuff and, uh, things I had read about Nanette to brush up for this podcast and uh i found the come town reddit where it is just wow <laughs> yeah um are you familiar with them yeah i haven't looked at their reddit though <laughs> um do you uh is it gonna bother you if i use an offensive word here no huge 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 post called jake flores is a faggot <laughs> or a, a fucking faggot um juxtaposed with uh, all of ian carmel's followers calling me a uh, you know 
a misogynist uh homophobe or whatever for my for my feelings on Nanette. um god what a world anyway when yeah (laughs) (laughs) but there is something that's always really bothered me about um the way that times have sort of shifted in the last you know five to ten years and i noticed a lot of friends of mine who 10 years ago were outright homophobic bullies taking a lot of selfies at like pride events now right. and <laughs> it's it seems very obviously disingenuine and just um you know just uh performative and you know these people are just sort of adapting to whatever they're told at the time makes them cool or a good person right. or whatever and that just seems to be an inherent flaw in this type of, uh, you know, art. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I, I yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, um, it pisses it pisses me off to see that kind of stuff happen. And right, it's, I mean, I know this is like kind of an alt right term, but like virtue signaling or whatever. That's that's what it feels like to me, and it's you know like. A, are the people who now understand queer pain because of Nanette going to like donate to my trans friends, like top surgery fundraisers, or are they going to help in any meaningful way to do anything? Like, no, they're just going to feel like a better person for having watched Nanette. Right. Because for them, the act of having watched Nanette was that it was, Oh, I'm making the better, the, the, the world a better place by liking this thing. And then, you know, I guess the idea I think on some level is that it, you know, it gets in your blood and now you just every, everything you do from now on is influenced by what you learned from the net or whatever. And like, you know, there are maybe very soft ways in which culture does that. Um, but I think the fact that it gets you off the hook, um, for really critically thinking about any of this stuff is a huge bummer to right. um, anyone who would actually be affected by it, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, let's see. I'm going to pause real quick and look at my notes. All right. I, I have some notes about her as a comic that I think I'll save for the second part of this show where I think I'm going to, uh, me and my friends are going to yell at each other about it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she does some things that I, I think are, um, <laughs> that kind of show some holes in what she's doing, which is, she, she, you know, she talks about how how easy Trump jokes are, and then she does a Trump joke right after that. Um, but anyway. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I also just found the comedy part, like, really boring. Like, <sighs> Man, I, no, the last time this was cut from the piece because it's probably too harsh but it was like uh i was just like i don't know the last time i've heard like so many like oh isn't it funny how lesbians look like men jokes like right 1990 something it just seemed so retro and uh kind of just like i don't know milk toast yeah well you know to the point of you know your family coming up to you and going, oh, do you like Nanette? As because it's this thing that's so popular now that it's in their world. I mean, as a comic, I get that all the time. And comedy is such a specific niche thing, or at least, and it was way more when I first started. You know, like ten plus years ago, that I can identify with that in a lot because a lot of ways because I would got into these, you know, very weird, specific, dark alleyways of comedy and would be really into like. Doug Stanhope or like you know weird old uh, 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 Lenny Bruce albums or something or you know Hedberg and all this stuff and then I'd be at like I'll be at barbecues and family events and have people go have you heard um, you know 
this guy, Alexi Rinaldo. We love him. He's the red Mexican. He's a guy who travels around and he's half Mexican like you. He's a redneck and a Mexican. And his jokes are all about how he's a red. It's like, no, please stop talking to me. Like, just because this is part of the same, you know, art form doesn't mean I would like that. Like, there's, you know, this big gap or whatever. Um, so I rewatched it again today um, and took some notes and read your piece again. And um, sort of, I think it all culminates in this part at the end um, where if you haven't seen Anatomy and you should watch it before you listen to this or, you know, do whatever you want with your life. But um, I'll, I'll say this. I watched it for the second time today and it felt a lot like watching Fight Club for the second time where uh, <laughs> you are like, aware the big twist is coming. Um, and you want to like lean to your friend and go, oh, it's going to get good, right? Um, but <laughs> there's, you know, there's obviously there's this big twist at the end where she refers to a joke that she told early on in the in the set in the stand-up part um where she didn't tell you the end of it and the end of it is you know this guy attacks her and all this stuff um and then you know the the set is harping on this and deconstructing what comedy is and by the way by the way that part really bothered me i, I as a comic i find it very lame to over explain comedy to people um, or to even assume that you're like a master of it uh, while you're talking about it. Um, the best comics I find don't really consider themselves to be the teacher in that situation. Um, just another problem I have with it is that it sort of, we, it sort of buys into this new idea that comics are, um, you know, philosophers and teachers or whatever. But um, but it culminates in this this concept that she explains where. Yeah, so she concludes that like anger, whether it's in comedy or in writing stories or whatever, that that's not constructive. That she has a right to her anger, but that's that it's a destructive force. That she shouldn't leave people with more anger because it just you know like hurts the world. Um, and that to me was that was kind of when I was like, are you serious? And like, want to cut my computer down? Like, <laughs> because like, what it what is she saying? Like that we don't have a we don't deserve to be angry that our anger isn't productive. Like anger is what gets people out to protest and like anger is what, you know, like not to bring up a cliche, but like the Stonewall riots were angry, right? Like it's not through respectful dialogue explaining your trauma to cis people uh, that you change things. It's through anger. And so to me, that was like the biggest clue, the kind of like revealing uh, the... I don't know the what it like wizard behind the curtain. That's not a saying. I don't <laughs> yeah, I know. From... A trick like of why all these people glommed onto it and like wrote about it, um, frothing at the mouth about how good it was, is because it just lets them off the hook. Like it just is like, well, there's nothing to you know. Anger is not productive. So if you see like a angry queer, they just haven't done enough work on themselves, like I have, to process my trauma in the correct way. Uh, right. The unspoken so implication is that it's a huge criticism of anyone else who would choose a different path than right. Hannah Gadsby and a very tried and true one and a very legitimate, um, perfectly respectable, admirable one, which is anger. Um, and I think you just mentioned Stonewall as a cliche, but I, to, to, you know, to a podcast that might reach a lot of different ears, that isn't a cliche. People do not understand that difference. And it's a very popular thing now to go to pride events and like, uh, you know, you see a cop wearing like a rainbow uniform or something. And uh, it's sort of subscribed to this idea that's being put, you know, in a way through this 
Nanette special that yeah no ang- anger isn't the way the way is us all coming together or whatever um, that you can only think that if you if you think that we're still not you know in a fight against each other on some levels exactly yeah like I mean and it's totally related to all these like the general trajectory of like LGBT rights and stuff where it's gone from a kind of inherently revolutionary idea of like overthrowing patriarchy or whatever and uh, being linked to anti-capitalism and everything to being this like well can't we all just sit at the same table even though the table is like you know u.s empire destroying everything uh, <laughs> and so and i think i think it just really falls in line with that that kind of stuff like it it allows people to feel like they're they're working towards equality but it's a form of equality that's completely neutered and that doesn't actually threaten any any uh power structure yeah um that's why uh the 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 slogan you see so often is like love wins you know right it's like well how the hell does that work yeah this is like the love wins of comedy specials yeah totally great um wow cool great so um i think that's uh that's about it that's all i wanted to ask you i just wanted to kind of blow up your piece a little bit because i enjoyed it and um kind of explore some of the the things that it made me think about um is there uh anything you'd like to plug anywhere people people can find you read more of your work anything like that uh you can find me on twitter at ptrmsk and i'm actually writing a book about like free speech and civility and all the kind of empty language you use to describe these power structures so that in a way that's related to net so if you remember in like a year and a half to be on the lookout for that <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, hit me up then. I'll, I'll give it a little little boost then. I'll either have way more Twitter followers or have been completely um, destroyed and taken down by <laughs> both mainstream comedy and uh, the far radical people that both seem to hate me. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Peter, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to reading more of your work. Yeah, thanks. Cool. See you around. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. So the, uh, that was my interview with... Uh, Peter Moskowitz wrote the piece in the outline, um, the net problem. Um, and I, I enjoyed that. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in there regarding like the heavy weighty, you know, theoretical political implications of, uh, this fucking comedy special. I can't stop thinking about. Um, but, uh, the main course for Mm-mm. the damned, <laughs> the, <laughs> The Damned, who listen to this show, Pod Damn America, a, a goth socialist podcast for um, people who have been driven insane by uh, Twitter and uh, <laughs> uh, think pieces. Um, the Damned, as they prefer <laughs> to be called, my goth children. Um, the main event today is uh, I'll be talking to my uh, my two comedy comrades uh, about the more like comedic aspects of Nanette. Uh, I have with me Al, uh, <laughs> Anders Lee. Anders Lee here. Uh, and uh, special guest Luisa Diaz. Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so I fucking watched um, Nanette again today, which was real fun <laughs> because it's a mystery 
it's a <laughs> there's a twist so when you watch it the second time it's like watching like picking up the clues yeah, yeah. you're like oh she, <laughs> she was dead the whole time <laughs> that was the smoking gun right there you know <laughs> don't go in there Nanette <laughs> but uh but I watched that and I also watched which we'll get into a little bit later I think but uh, I watched Drew Michaels comedy special the on HBO, HBO that just came out um because I noticed someone you know I keep track of um, all of these things for some reason, all these fights <laughs> that happen on reason. the internet. <laughs> and I noticed someone going like, um, you know, oh, you have guys that hated Annette. Oh, but no one's talking about this insane Drew Michael special. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's actually a good point. Yes. It <laughs> is Double a good standard. Point. It's yeah. a really good, good, good point. Can you imagine if uh, like a queer comic had done what he did? Like what? no audience, like a, the vlog style, like if a... Well, I think Female a queer comic, comic kind of did. I mean, they're yeah. similar, Nanette, and this special. Yeah, yeah but level. to take the audience away, I feel like that person would get extra, extra heat. I don't know. I think they would have gotten like, like um, a lot of praise in that, a way. That too. It would have been. And it it, it would have been in on the radar, and I feel like this. But do you think they would have been having the? argument of is it comedy or not maybe i think it would have been more like nobody would have called it the future of comedy that's the thing or Bo- yeah both or of these specials got called the future yeah. of comedy by separate people who both suck i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so they re- represent an interesting dichotomy yeah and uh and when that when somebody first brought this up to me i thought like oh shit you know that's a really good question and it put me in a weird position because like i i would kind of that like you know the the reason I like wasn't actively talking that much about Drew Michael's special is because like I um you know Hannah Gatsby's an abstract person to me I don't know who she is right, she's right, from the right. part of the world it's this thing that was in the news and stuff and Drew Michael is somebody who I've like interacted with and he follows yeah. me online and all this stuff and we've talked and you know so it's well, it's different uh, when, like, I'll go out on a limb and say I like Drew Michael very much I, you know, <laughs> and I know that he's somebody. <laughs> Close personal friend of mine. Yeah, no, <laughs> We've no. gone fishing I mean, on several it's occasions. Weird you know, you know that thing like with uh, Owens or whatever from uh, Cosby Show right now that everybody's being oh, like, why would yeah. you call him out for working on Trader Joe's? But I swear to God, I would have never heard of it if it wasn't because of comics being like, it's so shitty that you're attacking this person for <laughs> having a job. And so I don't want to do the same thing by spreading bad rumors about Drew Michael, but I will say... Some people are like, he's not a likable person. (laughs) 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 And I don't find that to be true. I think he's a really nice guy. I think that um, part of the special of the deafness is is a bit that he has been working on for a long time before, you know, as somebody who saw him live all the time. Yeah, for sure. And that I thought live is really, really powerful, and you really fucking understand kind of like, oh, shit, he's not being a dick to me. He didn't hear what I said, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, and he does this thing uh, that I noticed a lot, right, because I fucking watch all of you way too much, right? <laughs> but Drew, when he's, like, in a crowd of people, somebody will say something next to him, and if he's on the side where he can't hear you, he'll look directly at you and then say, what did you just say? Like that, which looks confrontational. <laughs> and then the person will repeat what they said, and he just goes, Oh, okay. And then he walks away from them. So then he, they just think, what the fuck is wrong with this thing? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But he literally was like, oh, no, I couldn't hear you. Can you repeat that? <laughs> but he's not, like, smooth about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was so the best part of the special was the, the they, deaf material. There was a lot of good. And here's the thing. He's a great joke writer. There are, mm-hmm. There's a lot of good material in Drew's writing. It was really the presentation that was a little. I mean, look, here's the thing. Everything's subjective, right? What I would say makes them similar uh, Nanette and Drew Michael 
is Drew Michael is the name of Drew Michael. Of Drew Michael, Michael. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when I compare the fake version, yeah, you get it. Um, what I think is the same of it, about it, both of them, and what kind of irks us when we watch it is that they're both comedy specials about comedy, and yeah. that previously has been kind of like a taboo thing. Like, if you think about uh, when a comic turns on the room or when a comic comments about like, oh, you don't think that's funny, this other room thinks that's funny, or they talk about a booker or they make a joke that only the back of the room understands. Mm -hmm. Everybody in comedy understands that's not good comedy, right? Like, even if we're enjoying it in the moment, the little inside jokes and the whatever, yeah. Yeah. it's not good comedy because you're alienating your audience, right? So then here come these two that are literally just fucking, because... Drew's wasn't about comedy and content, but it was in presentation. Because all you could do was think about why is the audience not there and like think about the relationship between the performer and the audience. And yeah. is it not still stand up if there's no audience? And like, you know what I mean? So you were just thinking about comedy instead of thinking about the shit that Drew was talking about. Mm. Right. You get me? Yeah. I have a in structure, like the, the, the medium yeah. was the message kind right. of sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of. It's like reading House of bad. Leaves or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I have a theory that they are actually connected because if, if people have watched Nanette several times, you'll know Nanette is the name of a character that's kind of unseen in Nanette. Right. And I think that she's the chick Drew Michael's talking to. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. They're both inside the snow Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are both using this woman as a, this, like, maybe imaginary woman as this right. crux yeah. to support everything that they want to say about themselves. Uh-huh. You know what totally. I mean? Which goes to my earlier observation. I'm telling you, 2018 is the year that the the stool in stand-up comedy is the personified woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We just complete the fucking circle yeah. on that. Um, I both liked and disliked part, b- both of these things yeah. in right. a lot of ways. Right. And I I talked about this a little bit with Peter Moskowitz. You know, I'm just kind of get my point out as a basis for some other show I'm going to talk about but I really think that um, for some reason we've come we've sort of ramped up and changed the degree to which we consider like whether you liked or didn't like a piece of culture Mm -hmm. to be like political and I really when I watch stuff I long for the days of us all going and seeing a film and then going to a coffee shop and smoking cigarettes and, and picking it apart it, and arguing yeah. about it and that just being the point of it and that thing, something that makes you grow because like somebody I think it was one of the guys in Struggle Session uh, very aptly called uh, Nanette the last Jedi of comedy which is it caused this schism and this huge argument and all these people go there's a fucking sexist backlash and no. if you didn't like this you're sexist and if you do like it you're you know you can whatever. I tell you <laughs> it's so wrong. This is what's so funny to me is, um, check this out. Okay, hear this angle out. Something that I've seen for years is whenever um, somebody has a reaction to a joke, right, or a special or whatever, and they like write an article or they write a blog post. Let's say, for example, the Sam Morrill shit when he did the rape joke and then somebody got super mad and wrote a thing. And literally all these comics came out of nowhere to just be like, how dare you attack another comedian? We have the right to say whatever we want, free speech. And then this very key point, what do you know about comedy? Who are you to talk about how comedy should be done and what is and what isn't funny? So then here comes this woman who, regardless of what we Americans may think, is an established comedian around the world or in other places and therefore has some time under her belt and did some shit. And she comes out, and to me the whole thing is that you know, I don't mean to disparage it by saying that it's a one-woman show. I don't mean that disparagingly, which I think is what a lot of people were saying. Yeah. 
But I mean it in the sense that it was more about comedy and her experience in comedy mm. than about doing comedy. Well, I, right? I, I that jumped out really hard at me because, like, me personally, yeah. a lot of the shit that bothered me about it to begin with while she was just doing the stand-up, yeah. as I was watching it as being presented as the fucking future of comedy was, oh, this isn't really that, like, good in, of stand-up to my taste. <laughs> but I think part of that has yeah. to do with, and this might just be a bias I have, is that I'm an American and American. Com- stand-up comedy is fucking from America. And so when it goes right. to these other places, it transformed a little bit more t- into, like, an autobiographical yeah one-person show thing even when they even when they say they're doing stand-up in europe they're it's doing like these one-person yeah. shows they're more storytellers and this kind of stuff and and the thing is like i'm like you i tend to think you know subjectively i prefer set up punchline i prefer a no wasted words i prefer a tightness of arc of narrative you know like i prefer i was a sculptor right and I prefer I so much about you. Yeah, right. I prefer. <laughs> OK, so what I enjoy about stand ups is that basically, you know, and I was a, a subtractive sculptor, which means I carved stone oh. instead of like adding up shit. Right. Yeah. Totally. So I started with a big people. square chunk of something and then I carved it down until it was like perfectly smooth to the shape that I wanted. Uh-huh. So that's what I feel that I watch stand ups do is carve this block down little by little until it's smoothly the thing that you want to do. And I think that people who do looser comedy are satisfied with this thing gives the illusion of the shape I was trying to get to and you get the point. <laughs> and yeah. I prefer the people who are like, it is not done until it is done. <laughs> right. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, like, I, I also, another thing to that point yeah. of, that bothered me about Nanette was that she seemed to really exemplify an attitude about comedy that I really oh, despise, totally. which totally. is that the comedian is this like teacher philosopher figure. And, and when I say that, I mean, it's because she would, she explained joke structure I to know. the audience, which is something that if I do in real life, people hate. And totally. it's also I not good. Thank you. But also, yeah. like, I also don't think it's becoming of a comic because if you're a comedian and you're really like, I think good at it and you intellectually understand it with anything yeah. the, the fact of the matter is you consider yourself a student and a dumb yeah. person about it and a, like a lay person absolutely and so and the better ones are people who are doubting their ability and constantly trying right. to be better right so for but, her to make this fucking okay. special with the yeah. thesis is I'm quitting comedy because I've done yeah. it all the way right. and she feels come like to she the conclusion it. <laughs> of it <laughs> yeah. like that's really insulting to me as a comic totally that yeah. the thesis bothered me the yeah. structure I kind of liked I thought was kind of cool well, see but I don't think that was the thesis I think that that was uh, part of her supporting elements for why she can come to her thesis. Because this is what I was going to tell you. I mean, even before I go into the thing that really is annoying about it, you touched on the whole framing of the future of comedy and this is what it's going to be. I think largely with both of these specials, they were fucked by being promoted that way. Sure. Because I heard for days this fucking framing of them before I ever watched it. And if they had just been like, it's a good comedy special. You yeah. would have been like, well, how can it be the future of comedy when, it's ha- when it already happened? That's my <laughs> yeah, question. Exactly. exactly. Uh, or when it already happened in another version because did you guys see Bo Burnham's Make Happy? Uh-huh. I you heard. Did? I didn't yeah. watch it because somebody sold it to me as the fucking future of comedy. Okay. Well, I, it's, it bo- it's not. It's kind of, it, but I would tell you it's that bo Make Burnham. Happy is yeah. the same thing as these two specials. Yeah, in sure. that it is specifically about him examining the purpose of being a performer and what it means to be a performer. And by the end of it, he comes to the conclusion that he has nothing else left to write about because if you are supposed to write what you know and all he's ever known is performance, then what could he possibly have to say, right? Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't announce he's fucking quitting comedy, but he quit comedy. He just directs and produces now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he quit. <laughs> that was, this was I his swan song in the same exact way as Hannah... 
claims this was hers, and I know that Drew's not claiming that, but his was like a beginning kind well, of thing. We all hope thing. he will quit comedy. He's <laughs> come to his senses. No, I'm just fucking around. I liked him, and I also think he's insane, which is yeah, why no, I always totally, feel about most of my friends, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's why I'm like, I respect that he's like a weird dick sometimes. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, we all are weird dicks sometimes. Well, when I was watching <laughs> well, Nanette, I was like, oh, this is an insane person. I would hang out with this yeah. person. Yeah. Like, it's a really well-shot meltdown set yeah. on some level, you know? Yeah. Well, sp- speaking as one of Jake's insane friends, I <laughs> have, I guess, kind of a different perspective on this because uh i mean i started doing stand-up about four years ago and mm-hmm. the past year i've been doing something that's um i i mean here's the thing i don't care what people call it a lot of people call it a like one-man show stand-up. it's not well I it has that you of your one-man like show they call it the past of comedy yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah the p-a-s-s-e-d yeah. of comedy yeah. um no well there's there is that in it and that's yeah. and that uh, but I'm not alone like this has been going on for a very long time like yeah. where you have a show an hour long one person show yeah. it has jokes yeah. p- perfectly legible stand up jokes in it it has yeah. more serious moments and that goes back to and that's a it, that tradition is in the United States you have people in the 80s totally. like John Leguizamo Whoopi Goldberg who did they were people on stage who did jokes they yeah. inhabited characters all this stuff has been going dude, on for a really long time three mics that shit was terrible y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, dude, you know what? Okay, so to right? that point, somebody asked me, <laughs> okay. why, you know, why don't you fucking shit on three mics if you didn't okay, like I'll this? Okay, I'll do it. And I went, because Neil Brennan follows me on Twitter, and oh, it would be kind of okay, rude. Okay, but, yeah, but, but that being business, said, business. I don't know Mike Birbiglia at all. So I, you know what? If oh, we're going to make this comparison. Mike Birbiglia does, like, one-man show kind of thing. I hate it. It's just not I, my thing. Oh, no, but I like it. I think it's fun. It's fine. It's good. But nobody framed it ever as this right. is the future of stand-up. So I was never like, what? This is not stand-up. I was just like, this is funny, and this is good. But yeah. where does it stop being stand-up? I guess that's what I don't understand. Um, it's like, where? Wh- I, I just feel like we're I, too attached to these fixed. I will tell you. This okay. is my definition, and all that you can have is your own personal definition that you constantly check up against people that you respect. That's all that yeah. you can do, right? So mine is that I would tell you that the line, like obviously it's a very blurred line, and I think the best of you do both things pretty well and are probably stronger at one than the other is the general assessment. But the line would be in if you privilege writing funny jokes and then making sure that those are stacked in a set with a good narrative arc, you are a stand-up. If you create a good narrative and then punch up that narrative with jokes, you are a storyteller who is funny. You know what's fucking interesting about that is because I got into this big fight with all these people, and after a while, I thought yeah. about it, and I was like, wait a minute, I do that. I kind of am a storyteller. Like, but I, when I, I think was, you switch. No, I, think I switch. I do both. Yeah. I consider those like two yeah. different. And a lot years. of comics do to both. Yeah, like, in I, one set. I think about, yeah. but I think about exactly that a lot of the yeah. times. And like when I'm, I'm going to make an album, I'm like, all right, I look at the narrative, but then I like put the jokes in order like those are two things to keep in in like totally. in mind at all times yep. or whatever yeah. and so like when i was watching nanette i was like oh actually when she was over fucking explaining tension i was yeah. like to stop explaining <laughs> it i get it i fucking do that i, I did that when i made my totally. fucking record and shit and like I, you know I, I also you know to to address this point people brought up I fucking loved when Dave Attell or Dave Chappelle got super meta and serious about capitalism. I loved yeah. Patton Oswalt's thing about you know his yeah. whole thing and um, the like. Know. You like it when they go into a dark hole where it's not necessarily filled with jokes. Yeah, like talking. I'm not against that at but all. But that's fine. But that's well, narrative it's being the used media within your set. It. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Nobody, I would say, unless it's like okay, there are comics who are clean cut one or the other. I would say that Mark B- Mike Birbiglia is clean cut a storyteller. Yeah. And Mark Norman is clean cut a stand up. 
he writes punchlines and then he sets those up in a narrative arc for a, yeah. you, for a set. You know what I mean? He's never going to privilege, I'm going to tell you a good story and then fill it up with jokes. He's always going to be like, here's the jokes. How do I make up a story where I could tell these jokes? You know yeah. I, mean? I guess yeah. I would just say that those are different styles of Well, of comedy, of the umbrella comedy, yeah. right? So that's why... Um, I just don't think you could be like, just because it's done with a microphone on a stage, it's all stand-up. But it, either way, it's not the point. Because, I, you know, I, my point is that I do think it's all comedy. Drew's thing is comedy. Nanette's thing is comedy. And I think that people getting distracted arguing about whether it's real stand-up or not, you're, you're missing the point. Because to go back to the thing about, like, talking about comedy, right? It's so funny to me that I'm watching you all be angry <laughs> that people are talking about comedy like, blatantly instead of doing jokes right because so Lori Kilmartin on her podcast she also immediately after like the week after Nanette came out she also got mad at me by the way oh she did yeah, just everyone did I yeah, got but I'm sure everybody gets mad at you uh, you're one of my problematic ones that people are like you're friends with him I'm like yeah I'm friends with all the ones that are problematic thanks um, but Lori she commented that on the road somewhere after the week after Nanette came out she did a joke, and it included a callback, and some asshole in the audience yelled out, oh, callback. <laughs> and she was like, that's fucking Hannah Gatsby's fault. <laughs> and she's like, so mad. And she was like, instead of enjoying the comedy and fucking laughing at the jokes, they're like dissecting it in this way where now they're trying to write a paper about comedy. And so I think that that's the thing that comics don't want to acknowledge is really offensive to them. It's that you're o what Hannah Gatsby was doing was opening the door to a pro the process of comedy and to... She was basically saying, comedy doesn't do what I needed to do for me, but she indicted the whole thing in terms of like, and nobody could do the thing that I'm asking that it does, and that's where she's wrong. That's exactly what Peter's yeah. point was, which yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with. Absolutely. That's why absolutely. I find it so offensive. Yeah. And I also like, I mean, whatever, I'm not going to get back into the argument yeah. I got into online or whatever, but like, I don't think that's a fucking point to throw a fit over it. I Absolutely. also liked it and it was fine. You know, yeah. There's always mm -hmm. levels to it or whatever, but I mean that's. But uh, imagine if like a football player quit football because he was like, you know, I think I'm getting a fucking fucking too many concussions. It might be CTE. I don't know. I'm not trying to say everybody else shouldn't do it, yeah. but I'm just gonna quit. And then all of the NFL and everybody was like, oh my god, how dare he attack <laughs> football? <laughs> <laughs> like, just let the fucking guy retire. Listen, and and I'm sorry, Andrews. Sorry, it gets me so heated. <laughs> because here's what I don't understand. Uh, I was like, I was one of the people on Twitter telling Jake he had to watch this shit. I'm sorry, it's not shit. You know what I mean? He had to watch this thing. Sorry, I'm from Miami. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this shit. Yeah. Good shit. <laughs> yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah. Good exactly. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was one of the people telling him because regardless of whether or not you enjoy it, you need to hear it mm -hmm. because it is affecting your audiences, it is affecting your peers, and her. Her, um, I don't want to say problems with comedy, but her feedback to comedy is something you should be thinking of. I don't think it's something you should be talking about on stage. I don't think you need to be like talking about whether this joke so addresses the social injustice of blah, blah, blah. But you should consider, you know, I think you, both of you guys are... Um, socially aware, intelligent young people. I don't know if that's true. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm giving Anders the benefit of the doubt because he's associated with you guys. Well, he has a show about how he's not. Really? Do you? Uh, on paper, I'm not. I'm. But then you're surprisingly, you are. Yes. You're, you're well, a I have smart young man. thing about autism. It's, we can okay. talk a little bit. Most of us just busted his balls with it. Yeah. <laughs> that's busting his balls when there's guests around. Um, no, so I do think that what it had to be was like, her, uh, so there's some older guys. Okay. 
I'm sure he'll never hear this, so I'm going to say this right now. <laughs> <laughs> the show's doing pretty well. Oh, yeah? Shit. Nobody tell on me, okay? Nobody okay. at Robert Kelly about this. But okay. <laughs> oh, he won't hear this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you know, I listen to, I, I jokingly and lovingly call them the old guy podca- podcasts, but, Hell you know, yeah. it's like the older comics who were already, like, way established, and now they came back mm-hmm. and did podcasts. The ones that are basically radio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And here's the thing. A lot of their podcasts are funny and good and whatever, but this year has been really fucking difficult on those podcasts, let me tell you, <laughs> because it's been a lot of, like, knee-jerk reactions, and this is not specifically about Robert Kelly and just in general about this category of podcasts, but there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions about the PC culture and about people fucking stepping on freedom of speech and these young people who have too many outlets and it was better when uh, there was only two people getting specialty. Crazy shit where you're just like, what do you, if you even like heard what you were saying, you would realize this doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Miraculously, on an episode like a week ago, Robert Kelly, <laughs> out of all the people, I mean, it was like Rich Voss and, <laughs> and Keith Robinson and some other fucking dudes. And they were all going on this huge, like, these fucking young kids, you know, they just want everything handed to them and they blah, 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 like old guys. And then Robert Kelly was like, wait a, wait a minute, though. Aren't they right, though? Shouldn't, like, women be respected? I mean, I know that, like, two weeks ago I was on your side, but now I'm starting to think that just because we went through all this fucked up shit doesn't mean that it's just how the world should be. And we, you know, like, we should help them make this world that they... <laughs> whoa we're getting through this. yeah, yeah. Like, it's working right so this is what i think that then the net thing has to do with the comics of all ages and of all everything is even if it's not your message and you don't agree with it you should hear what her concern is about the stories that aren't being told about the ways that you reify bad ideas because here's the thing the magic of comedy whether it's stand-up or any kind of comedy is that you have to engage stereotypes in order to question them right but if you engage it and you don't successfully question it, then all you did was engage it and spread it. <laughs> you understand me? You didn't actually weaken it or anything. Like the reason Chappelle quit his show was that, was that he thought he was attacking racism and like showing you things. He noticed that the audience was laughing. But not at the, the right wrong time. wrong fucking right. exactly. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot when I think about yeah. comedy. Um, because you you know it comes up when you question like well what am I doing what are the implications right. of doing and I've like I just I just did this interview with Vulture where yeah. they're like asking comedians about jokes they regret or whatever and mm-hmm. like I fucking thought about that a lot because I went and looked back on some old jokes and I went you know what there's this joke that I think is funny about this woman I dated who was yeah. fucking out of her mind and then I realized people were laughing at it because of the trope of like women are fucking crazy <laughs> yeah and you're like I was not trying to perpetuate that yeah you were talking about this specific and that's what I mean so the old guys. There's a lot of old guys who are, in my opinion, and I don't mean old guys like in age, I also mean in like traditional stand-up types who went the traditional route and who are cliques in traditional cliques, right? Those guys, they all hide behind funny is funny, uh, the joke is the most important thing no matter right, what. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, in reality, in society, that's not the truth, right? right? So the joke is not the most important thing. You could get your fucking head chopped off, and like this goes back to right. what you were saying about like you don't d- you didn't agree with Hannah's, her being one of these people that thinks that comics are you know the bards of the world, whose <laughs> 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 job it is to tell the truth. So here's where I'm like the middle one in between you guys because I do think that you do that service and you that's your role in society, but. You don't do that by primarily going out and screaming about what your opinions are. Well, that's kind right? of what my actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you because about you do Hannah Gatsby. Joke, when I, your art well. When I yeah. was listening to her over explain joke structure, right. I was like, the people that 
over-explained joke structure are the people that don't understand you're supposed to use the structure to then be the teacher you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Not, you know, a teacher yeah. doesn't go up there and go, I'm fucking, this is math, motherfucker. Yeah, you know, yeah fuck exactly. You, you know? Well, here, so here's my thing with it. I've watched it a few times, and I still don't, like, I have a lot of admiration for critics. Mm-hmm. I'm not a criti- criticism critic. Right. I have a lot of, you know, I uh, memorized Roger Ebert's star ratings growing up. I have a catalog in my mind of Roger Ebert's star ratings from like 99 to 2005. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, most things I watch, I can't give you uh didn't like it, did like it. Like I can't. Like, like you just neutrally absorb yeah, it. Yeah, I just absorb <laughs> things. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and with Nanette, like I, when she says things, makes these like global statements about comedy does this. Or right. like uh, self-deprecation does this. That's obviously a global statement, but it's true for her. That's right, undeniably right, right. her experience. She's making a subjective statement, objective. I- exactly. In, in her opinion. Yeah. Right. And like I see why people have a problem with that, but at the same time, if she doesn't do that, she doesn't really it have doesn't a show. Work. Nobody right, shows right. up and watches the net. So right. you know, game respect game. Right. And that's <laughs> but see, that's the point that I was also making that it is it's true that you have to engage the stereotype, which means it's almost like you have to go big. Right. Like you yeah. have to go big and you have to be willing to say that word you're not supposed to say or do the motion or whatever it is. And then if it fails, all you did was engage a negative thing publicly <laughs> and fucking reify it and spread it. But if you successfully make people laugh at it for the first time or for like the first time in their lives or whatever, then you are interrogating it. You know what I mean? That's okay. Let me talk about this because, I mean, that's the thing that I think Hannah Gatsby argued against in her special. Right. Was, she was saying that you comfort them by giving them that laughter. Yeah. Right? She was saying that like self-deprecation or, or this thing that yeah. I kind of have a hard time articulating that I think is like really the core I, of I my type you, of comedy. I can tell you what it is. Jake. Let me hold on. Let me give him this <laughs> Sorry, metaphor okay, out. Okay. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. this thing. There's mm-hmm. this part of it that I don't think is true of all comedy, but I think it's really sacred to certain types of people and I really hold dear, which is that like, you know, on a lot of ways, uh, dark humor and shit like that and really the fucking really brave comedy that like tackles stuff like that and like you said interrogates it yeah. like you know it it turns it it turns it on its head and neutralizes it and makes it become like um you know it it defeats the fucking demon of it in a way and also yeah. for you as an individual and the people that hear the jokes and like those jokes it like you know there's this thing in Game of Thrones, uh, yeah. oh, you wear it as armor now, and you're your fucking yeah. thing or whatever. And it's, like, really good and really cathartic or whatever. Totally. Um, and I would always, but to your point, when I worked at Old Man Hustle, and I uh, <laughs> I fucking watched everyone go up and just eat shit all the time, you know? And I had all these, like, edgelord guys fucking hanging around all the time, and I'd listen to them. These are, these are all, by the way, the guys would explain fucking joke structure oh, to everybody, no, you know? Yeah. Um, but I would, there was these guys that would just go up and just try to do rape jokes and try to do the N-word and try to do this stuff uh. all the time. And my thing, I've been doing comedy a million years. I yeah. this is, I that doesn't give me a fucking authority yeah. on it, but it just you, like. But to, you have a knowledge base from which to speak. There's just a lot of yeah. data to draw mm-hmm. from. What yeah. it seems to me, and the way I always explain my point of view on these of these jokes to these yeah. guys when they would get bummed out and they didn't work, is I would tell them what you're trying to do is you're trying to cut the fugu fish, which is that fucking sushi fish, fish that if you don't <laughs> cut it right. You release yeah. the poison and you kill the people you're serving. Mm. So you need to really take Practice, a lot of responsibility yeah. in that shit and yeah. maybe yeah. build your bones and That's get really good, good at it before yeah. you attempt to cut the... Because f- you're just up there poisoning people. That's a great right. analogy. That's exactly what I was saying because I think that w- that's what they're doing is they are just like 
picking up the explosive, but then you don't know what to do with it, so you just blow up and you're not. Yeah, doing and then not taking funny, any responsibility for the fact yeah. that you just blew up the. Fucking yeah, thing. if funny exactly. is funny, then in theory you could go to like a room full of black lesbians and do like edge lord meatball material and crush you right know? and so here this is what i was gonna that's say that's a future comedy <laughs> no no but he he has a real point because i think the people who are stuck on saying like funny is funny are also speaking from a point ugh, i know the privilege word is so unliked by everyone but let's no, say no, no, no. It's from a the point thing. of view it, yeah. let's say from the point of view I of wholeheartedly you're agree. used to having a certain class of audience a certain race of audience and it always works in these rooms that are exactly like this <laughs> right yeah. that are like this income <laughs> and these jobs and this whatever and then you're like oh why doesn't it work in Brooklyn, only fucking loser Brooklyn comedians. It's like, bitch, how about they perform in front of all kinds of people? You only perform in front of Bridge and Tunnel. Like, well, it's, like, it's like going to Japan. And yeah. Being like, what the fuck exactly. is these? What if that's not funny? Is funny, you well, know? Yeah. I, I'm doing my jokes and they're fun. They work in Brooklyn. Or so either, check this know? out. I mean, I don't know if this is repeating what your previous guest was talking about, but uh, and I'm sorry, Anders, as the white person present today, this is not. <laughs> you are excluded from this. But I think that Hannah's Hannah Gatsby's point of view did come from a white guilt perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Where I think when you add the addition of like, despite the fact that she's queer and she's a woman, there's still, you're white, right? And we've all seen it last year of like, white women voted for terrible people, white women are helpers of colonialism <laughs> and horrible shit, right? So she is speaking from this point of where she's like, I don't think that I'm doing any good by doing self-deprecating material that speaks badly about other women or about other queers or about uh, anything like that because she doesn't want to take the position of oppressor even for a second to make a joke. You understand me? I think those of us who are like you and like me and like your guests defending the fact that we get to make fun of this thing and are empowered through making fun of it are all speaking from the position of not having power and p speaking from the position of we didn't used to be allowed to talk about these things like uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen White Chicks. I'm excited to where this is going. <laughs> my comparisons range from White Chicks to Picasso. I will also, I will have everybody know I talked to comics about Picasso. Did he design those masks on White well, Chicks, Picasso? <laughs> I don't even know. But uh, White Chicks, no, what was important about White Chicks is that people don't realize is uh, it was the first instance ever in the history of humanity in which white women were represented by non-white people. For Whoa. sure, yeah, it was yeah. reverse blackface. Because think before that, but think about the fact that before that, a black young man, if he said anything in the direction of a white woman, it could literally mean you get lynched, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. All the way to we're literally putting on masks and mocking you and calling you Becky and saying this is what we see you all as. And that was the joke. That was the brilliance behind the movie. <laughs> was that like historically, this was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Dude, forget Bechdel. I'm looking for the Wayans test. Yes, you know? exactly. I fucking love that movie. And the thing is, for years I've been telling people about, like, I'm telling you, this is really important. So that's what I mean. Is um, comedy does have that power that she wants to deny? I think what she's saying is that she doesn't want to have the responsibility of. Picking it up because like those dudes that went to the fucking old man hustle thing, all they were doing was thinking like being a comedian is just transgressing. And it's not. Being a comedian is transgressing in a way where they still like you after you do it and you're mm -hmm. able to pull them back and yeah. make them think about it. Well, <laughs> you, you learn so much about tension. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> and then we get into sounding like <laughs> Hannah. I know, I know. Um, uh, you learn so much about people's kind of worldview when you, you pick this stuff apart with them, though, because like what I 
you know, whenever I would talk to those guys, I would always go, you know, I'd try to be a detective and be like, what is really going on here? <laughs> what because drove if, you here? If you're coming off really unpleasant to yeah. me, and it's because of this thing that I think I can kind of identify and isolate, what what is what is so offensive about that? And when I started to start to realize, and this is kind of similar to why, you know, the people that are, yeah. you know, fucking white woke and, you know, yeah. bougie woke and shit that hate me or whatever, is... They were insulting the intelligence of the audience, these these edgelord guys, when okay. they would do this stuff, and because they were assuming a lot you of things about them. You don't get why this is funny. Yeah, yeah, and not that what I'm doing isn't connecting. Yeah, and that's like the <laughs> thing that that the because comedy is so like ego driven. Yeah, c- comics fall into that all the time. I mean, totally woke fucking brooklyn you know speaking truth everybody. to power people yeah. All the way to everybody's club always dudes, like everybody the, yeah. whether it's like you know the audience like you guys just don't fucking get it and this is too much for you yeah. or like society has conditioned you to to not you know uh, to respect yeah. me as a person you know totally but i mean i guess to that point i mean that's why i like i, I, I don't agree with these guys with funny is funny or whatever yeah. but like getting to the 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 joke like the the part of it that yeah. transgresses and makes it work is the thing that we should all have in common on some level i agree well i mean okay so if you look at like absurdist comedy right yeah. that shit definitely does not have a political message or a social justice See, theory behind it i kind of disagree well what it is is a classist one right which is the one of like oh, we have nothing to worry about so all we want to do is giggle so i think when hannah gatsby says all we do is relieve their tension the only real culprit who does that is absurdist comic. <laughs> 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 because they're the only ones who are really relieving everybody's tension. I, I, I kind of disagree, though, because <laughs> I kind of think that, okay, that okay. like, g- laughter, like, we can never really stop and think, like, what the fuck is this physical reaction know, that people weird. have that's, like, you know, animals don't go, ha, 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 when they see something. Like, it's a very intellectual thing or whatever. And to me, the important thing is always subtext. Um, and so, actually... All these comics we're talking about, Drew Michaels, Hank Gadsby, Chappelle's, people yeah. like us, that like I'm into that type of comedy. I think that sometimes when you compare them to absurdists, it's actually, you realize, oh, these people are kind of like way better at this thing. Yeah. Because for me to do like subtext, I have to make something that's really similar to the subtext I'm talking about. So like when I say subtext, I mean like, the, no, why did the chicken cross the road? you're just talking about painting like, cub- you're talking about cubism versus fucking Surratt's dots. But, but you like know what, what I'm saying? Like, like when, when, Hed- when fucking Mitch Hedberg tells yeah. you a joke about mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, I don't want a frozen banana now, but I want a regular one later. Yeah. He's not, the joke isn't about bananas. It's right, about right, right. time. And you yeah. go, oh, the subtext of that was. Right. The, the, so the, the thing about like that type of comedy, that weird artsy psychedelic yeah. shit is that it's, it's using the same mechanism, but just in a much, the two things are much farther apart, you know? And I, yeah. I, I think that it's like still, I totally it's agree with still everything you're saying. doing something yeah. that is logical. But what it's doing, and the reason that I'm accusing it of being classist is because what it's doing is dismissing all the real problems of the world to just wonder why this is funny. <laughs> like, it's a very, like... <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I agree with that. And th- there's people, you know, Lorelai Ramirez? Yes. She does a lot of comedy that right. it, with the purpose... Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say purpose, but she'll make people But it has, like, a political yeah, meaning. You're right. really defies yeah. the But I would say Lorelai is on the edge of, like, this, these are fairly new versions of that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think there was that before, because like Jake said, uh, uh, Hedberg wasn't that at all. He was just absurd. Like, sure. So, what, uh, yeah. yeah. Would you say that there are absurd 
so, so like there's kind of a the wokeness factor um, in like Brooklyn audiences and things in, in a lot of times ends up being people who just don't want to think about those things. So it, they'll, if somebody brings up race, even the, even if it's in kind of a if, if it's in a slightly edgy way, they'll just get like this is a phenomenon I've noticed a few times. Mm-hmm. You'll have like uh, someone who has a marginalized identity who will do stand up to a woke Brooklyn cl- crowd and they'll do like kind of racy yeah. material and, and mm-hmm. they'll bomb. Like yeah. the, the, the yeah. people won't know. Uh, They're like, oh, I don't know totally. if I should laugh at this. Well, you know? so I would tell you like Brooklyn in general is like a real mixed bag. Like the Manhattan yeah. comics tend to think it's like all one thing, but it's really not. It really depends on the room. And I would even tell you on the night because it, there are people who are those uh, woke ones who are politely laughing at all the people of color and all yep. the like queer folk and all this stuff. And then they are the ones that are like immediately turned off by anything a white guy says by whatever. Oh, that's the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, that's the same one. But then there are the ones who um, are very artsy and they have that taste. Like I would say uh, Marianne's show. What's it called? Butter Boy. Butter Boy. Butter Boy. I love Marianne. Uh, she's Butter Train. She's one of my peers who I respect very much. Mondays, Mondays at Littlefield. Everybody check it out. Nice. Um, she books very distinctly different than I do, I think, because she books um, like fucking weirdo musical duos and people that do miming stuff. And it's all very funny, but it's very just like pushing that boundary of what comedy can be. Mm-hmm. Right. And those audiences love that. But they freeze up in front of anybody of any color saying anything slightly not PC or whatever. Yeah. Right? And then in Brooklyn, there might be some who are like, oh, great. You said the N word, but you're black. And so that's cool. And we all love it. <laughs> and so we're right. going to laugh with you. So it's really a mixed bag and it depends what you get. And I think it's um, is it makes you as strong to be good at all kinds of Brooklyn rooms as it is for a comic who does clubs in Manhattan. They know the difference between a East Village Club and an Upper West Side Club, mm-hmm. right? So they have to understand, even if they're not willing to admit it, that a Williamsburg room is very different from a Park Slope room or a Bushwick yeah. room. You know what I mean? One is off the L train. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> one is, is down by the nannies train. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I do think that that's uh, Hannah's thing is like partially a white woman thing. Okay, so to that point, yeah. something I've been thinking about a lot with Nanette and uh, with Hannah Gatsby and all the yeah. stuff's going around is that there, you know, there's this whiteness element to it and. Mm-hmm. A lot of what um, what Peter said about it, which yeah. I, I agreed with in his piece or in their piece, was yeah. that um, the, like what's for sale here is yeah. white people getting off the hook for being part of the uh, you know the institutions that sure. caused this stuff to begin with. It gives yeah. you a pass and lets you not engage anymore right. with the struggles she's talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And so it reminds me in a lot of ways of. Um, this thing that where like white people treat um, marginalized people in a certain way, where um, the, the, the first, the best comparison I can think of off the top of my head is about like you know five, six, seven, eight years ago or whatever in the the hipster Zach Galifianakis-y sort of days, mm-hmm. I was doing stand up in Austin and Austin's super white, uh, yeah. comedy scene especially was, but you know just the culture itself. I mean it was yeah. a segregated town, black and brown people were on the other side of the highway, right? And so they were there were like two different instances that I would watch um, black people come and do open mics and okay. try to have fun in them. Right. And a couple, like the first one was these kids from Houston, Til- uh, Houston Tilton, which is this black college there. Yeah. And they were like, you know, fucking good. Like they're kids yeah. from a black neighborhood the or whatever. Side of the highway, yeah. We'd come <laughs> up and everybody would 
kind of sit through it and a lot of people back then especially because yeah. a long time ago would openly have like disdain for it as like oh uh, this isn't comedy right this mm-hmm. is like oh they're, they're, this is like yeah, you know, this yeah. is like our smart stuff yeah then you watch like some guy with like a fucking sweater and a big friendly afro and stuff do like absurdist shit yeah. and everyone would, would immediately like, excuse <laughs> their racism against <laughs> oh, the other person God. by going like yeah see i like black people right yeah. like i i'm getting something that's like currency out of this by being like i'm friends with this guy i like this guy yeah. and it's like well you don't like black culture though because yeah. that was the thing that you didn't like about the other yeah. one right yeah and so with like hannah gadsby i think she's kind of offering people that on a level yeah she's giving them this like bougie white like approach like to an exit queer stuff. yeah that's true i mean it's so tough because i think i don't know the wait were you gonna say something go no, no no go ahead oh yeah um oh the thing that I was telling you before about um, how I've been bugging comedians to watch, right, um, to watch this Hannah Gatsby thing, uh, it's actually made me realize. It's something I've been thinking about for a little bit, but I actually think that... Shit, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Some of the, uh, I don't want to say worst comedians, but let's say one of the worst qualities that comedians can have, <laughs> let's put it that way, <laughs> is actually not watching comedy. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, I hate watching it now. I know. <laughs> and listen, like here's the thing. I understand because I've heard it all from all kinds of comics at every level where it's like, I don't want to watch so and so because I don't want to be influenced. I don't want their ideas or their sound to seep into mine. Uh, I just don't enjoy it. Don't like comedy yeah, anymore. exactly. Yeah. So it's like a bunch. Of, exactly. And I've had a lot just be like, I just don't like it. I like doing it, but I don't want to watch it. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, great. But it also means that you're operating in a vacuum where you are not aware of what your peers are doing and like on twitter it's so fucking blatant when everybody just does the same joke about whatever the thing is and i'm like oh you never read your twitter (laughs) you never read how everybody already did this 12 hours ago it's over for these hoes yeah exactly exactly (laughs) i'm like oh dude come on so this hannah thing it's over for these blokes (laughs) (laughs) it is this thing where i'm like you need to watch this because you need to be aware of um in the way that Lori was like this fucking bitch called out my call out my callback because she watched Hannah Gatsby, you need to be aware it's changing your audiences. Yeah, you need to be sure. aware it's changing your peers. And uh, I don't even think this was this Hannah Gatsby's intent. You know what I mean? I genuinely yeah. think industry fucked it all up and made it, like, framed it as this fucking stupid future. I love I that you're such a comedy head, though, because that's <laughs> like you would watch this and be like, this is the problem with yeah. this. You know? yeah, <laughs> and it's like, going to reshape bad, the structure of uh, how, you know, how stand up yeah. works and how audiences work. Yeah, right. absolutely. Because I like I don't, I don't know. I don't think about sometimes I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do this. And I don't want to be somebody that works in every room. I just want to yeah. get my 10,000 fans that will yeah. buy everything mm-hmm. I do and then yeah. do like because you can go to higher levels of certain yeah. topics if you have that niche thing going on. Yeah. But then sometimes I do get back into, like, you know, hardcore stand-up. Yeah. Like, I want to go f- attempt yeah. a fucking comedy club and see what happens there, you know? I mean, why not, right? You, yeah. you would want to try everything. I think um, you are one of the big proponents that I look to for, like, there can be different kinds of goals in comedy, and as long as um, I want to destroy comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not destroy comedy. I like comedy. Let's leave it alone. Oh, uh, actually, so let's talk about Drew Michael. Oh. There we go. Yeah, this is okay. ties back to this. this is to tie it back, right? Um, Wait, so we're talking Drew Michael or Drew Michael? Drew Michael. Feel Drew Michael's Drew Michael. About me, though, <laughs> we're trying. Yeah, we're talking about Drew Michael's Drew Michael, uh, produced and directed by Gerard Carmichael. 
Uh, <laughs> Drew Michael. Uh, Drew Michael's Drew Michael. Drew Michael. Like Drew Michael. And here's the thing, right? So here's like a real nerd perspective on this shit. So you know that, uh, did you see Gerard's HBO special? Eight, mm. I believe is what it was called. No, I don't no, enjoy watching I did, comedy. Well, see, I did oh, a lazy right. thing, and it. I heard he had notes in it, and I was like, well, that means I don't have to watch no, it. No, actually, I kind of wanted to watch it for that reason. It's fucking great. These, you know what? I don't <laughs> fucking watch anything. Just get back to class for a second. I don't have any fucking time. I know, I and know. And it is so totally. hard to tell people in my life that I have relationships with and shit like that that, like, part of my job is, is to go to watch, watch this, this fucking comedy special. I know, special. and seriously, I'm not telling you to watch Gerard's. I mean, not that it's not good. No, but, I kind of want But, to, like, man. having a conversation with me will fill you in as what, what matters about Gerard's. Sure. The Nanette one, I do think you need to form your own opinion on. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, Gerard's was just a good special right and nobody framed it as the future of stand-up so nobody got <laughs> mad at it but uh but actually people did get mad at it but the weird thing why this ties in is uh i believe it was bo burnham's first directorial debut oh. after he quit stand-up uh or you know musical comedy whatever he did um was to direct gerard carmichael's hbo special right and here's the thing um I went to the live recording, right? During this year, I was like obsessed with seeing the live thing and then the recorded thing so that I could see the difference and mm -hmm. like what the editorial changes were. Mm. <laughs> like all you're, of this. you're so weird. I know, I, I know. It. Listen, it's my hobby. <laughs> Leave me alone. So I fucking go to Gerard's special and the thing is that they send you a thing and they're like, you are invited. You're on the list. It is black tie only. The men have to dress this way. The women can only wear dresses and heels, et oh cetera, God. et cetera. It was at the uh, Masons, no one at the Free Masons. All right. It was okay. at the Freemasons uh, Lodge or whatever in Midtown. So it's like a fancy ass fucking place. It's like November or some shit. So we're all freezing our asses off in a line outside the place for like an hour before they even let you in. So then they finally let you in and you sit down and they obviously put like the hottest, fanciest dressed people around the front. And it's filmed in the round, like with a round circular stage, right? With the whole audience all around it. And... Then Gerard comes out, <laughs> and he's fucking wearing a sweatshirt and jeans. And he, the first thing he s does is take out some notes, and then like look around at the audience and go, "Wow, you guys are really dressed up, right?" Yeah. So immediately was, there was this tone of antagonism with the audience, like they set it up that way on purpose. Uh. And then he proceeded to have really dark jokes <laughs> that just like he did his best to alienate his audience from the very beginning yeah. to the very end. And the reason people didn't like it is because he purposely was trying to make you not like it. <laughs> you know, it was so fucking good. He had a joke was in it. Was that like the meta bit of it? Yes, man. And okay. so here's the thing is that what made it fancy and shiny and likable and pretty was Bo's direction. You understand me? What happened with Drew's... I, all right. I'm going <laughs> to come back to that. Okay. What happened with Drew's, in my opinion, is it's real weird to take one lofty intellectual kind of unlikable person and have them be directed by another lofty <laughs> intellectual <laughs> unlikable person. <laughs> totally. And so what they did was like, I don't want to be like, just like a circle jerk of a thing, but kind of, because it was like, I mean, it's a good thing that they made, honestly, but it just, it's problematic. It has a lot of things that I'm not loving. And then for you to frame it as the future of stand-up is psychotic. <laughs> like, right? I don't it's the future of vlogging 
I think for sure. <sighs> yeah. Like video okay. blogs like exactly. are going to be have more production value from now yes. on. Yeah. So yeah. It's just going to be somebody sitting in front of their radiator, you know. Yeah. There's going to be a guy burning a pair of Nikes, but it's shot just like <laughs> incredibly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big exactly. dark warehouse and well, a light turns on and shit. And here's what's offensive about uh, taking out the audience, right? Is that, I mean, all right. You guys might not agree with me because I think Bo and Make Happy addresses this point very well, but the contention between the performer and the audience of the fact that uh, the performer is doing this for your approval, wants your approval, is presenting you with their art for their approval, but then your reaction, if it's not appropriate, if it's not the one they wanted, it's going to anger them, and then if your performance wasn't the one that they wanted, that's gonna anger your audience. So it, it is this like contentious love-hate relationship of constant feedback, right? Yeah. And the art of stand-up is in this constant feedback loop being reacted to immediately, right? Like you fucking do a joke, you get feedback, people didn't laugh, maybe if I change this word, you get up the next night somewhere else, you change the thing. It's like a constant, constant feed feedback loop. So for, for Drew and Gerard to present this thing where you took out the feedback loop, <laughs> like you took out the other half of the loop and yeah. now it's just you preaching at me and on top of that, Instead of a stool with your drink on it, you have a disembodied woman <laughs> who has no Somebody. name. She has no name, no job, no purpose other than She's to exist. She's British. <laughs> For I thought some she reason. was Australian, no? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She's Nanette. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There was people who were like... They knew her name. I guess she's an actress in something. I don't know. Oh. She's an actual actress somewhere or something. Oh, she's just an actress in Drew Michael. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it just I was, was in Drew Michael. She can. Start. What did you guys think about that woman character in that Drew Michael thing? Yeah, I agree. It was. You liked it, Anders? No? <laughs> <laughs> you loved it. You're like, I need me a woman in a little window that's no. always there. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing that could have been redeeming about her is at the mm -hmm. end they have her say. What I'm sure a lot of people, we're most people were thinking yeah. during the special, which is just so self-indulgent right. and gross. And um, and what I didn't like is that they threw that in as kind of a poison pill. Right. Instead of having that up front and having him trying yeah. to take that head on, mm -hmm. he just throws it in at the end to kind of have you feel sorry for him. Yep. You know, inoculate uh, inoculation yeah against yeah. uh against because if it had just she stayed into him the whole time it would have been the most unlikable thing of all time but even then it doesn't it doesn't resolve the fact like it doesn't give her three dimensions yeah you know what no. i mean she's still yeah, just well if they had given her yeah. dimension yeah. along with that and she had said well this is the reason why me yeah. as a and I that could have been mean, a nice commentary mm -hmm. on being a straight White dude who's being a comedian because we're still going to exist. Right. It would have been and cool if it, it blew up meta style and then she was doing stand up. Yeah. <laughs> just aimlessly walking around in the back. He's in the green room while she's doing a yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to throw out my idea that I worked out with another comic via inappropriate DMs, so I'm not going to credit him. Inappropriate but Drew Michaels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we were thinking it would be really good if the woman had been like a hot older woman the whole time and then at the end it turns out she's his mom and she's like disappointed <laughs> in him that would have tied it all together nicely because it would have been like this is the figment of your mom in yeah. your head talking to you all i don't know let I, me ask you this as okay. performers right because okay so again it's funny because to me i see a lot of parallels all the time in comedy and all kind of art forms right so it's very interesting to me that it's gerard and drew on this because if you remember gerard's first hbo special was directed by spike lee do you remember that? I remember like hearing about it. I, don't know. I never watched it. 
I'll be honest. Oh, Ooh, right. Well, the tables are turned. I know. <laughs> but also, you know, look, I am highly more loyal to the East Coast of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we so, all have our excuses. Yes, yes. Why so that was my excuse. It's like, I'm busy. I got a lot of people. Like, I think at that, that year, all the half hours were New York people. So I'm sorry. I don't have time. So I didn't watch it. But also, I didn't watch it because um, above and beyond most people, like, the critical response was it's really, really bad. Right? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, I'm not going to watch it because this dude has been doing comedy for, like, a fucking minute amount of years. He shouldn't have had this special. I remember this. The, like, that was kind of the point. It was yeah. like, oh, look at this guy. He shot Brand up. new. Exactly. That's the big exactly. myth everyone right? loves to buy into. Exactly. Oh, we got a fucking oh, Childish Gambino on our hands. Yes. This was the one with the notes. No, no, no. Oh, okay. That was his, gotcha. the second one he did notes. But here's the All thing, right. right? So by the second one, he was um, seasoned. He did have a point of view. He had a good arc. So, again, I'm saying this without having seen the first one, but what I see similar is Spike Lee went to Gerard Carmichael and was like, I saw you at a club. I think you're fucking brilliant. I think you're going to be great. I want to give you this special and I'll direct it and you'll shoot up and you'll do whatever. And at the time, people were like, oh, he shouldn't have done that. Could you say no to that, right? Same thing. Gerard Carmichael had a TV show, does all this stuff, goes to Drew Michael and says, I think you're great, man. I want to do this fucking weird special. (laughs) What if we did it like this? And part of me is like, don't you think... It kind of sucks for Drew that this had to be his first way to be seen yeah. instead you know of really what? entirely his own voice. I agree Ooh. with you, but I can hear a th- billion people like, but you didn't say that about women. And it's like, no, I, no, because Nanette, she, I mean, sorry. I <laughs> just feel like th- th- yeah. I have this weird thing with Drew Michael yeah. where I, I think me and him are kind of similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. We got like cast to roast battle each other one time. Oh, and I was like, okay. oh, I get it. I yeah, get it. No, I get it. That, I see. You know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So when I watched him, I was like, when I watched the special, I mean, I was like going into it like, what the fuck is this? And yeah. the more I watched it, I was like, this is directed really awesome. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it seems like it's missing a huge chunk. It seems yeah. like it's B-roll of like, you would have yeah. split this, this into a movie that the movie's not there or whatever. But I was watching it was like, I also would have made this at some point in my life. Yeah. Like, I may have even been the director. Like, I was right. like, I get what they're going for here. But and it should have been your to first thing. Well, also, I just was like, I maybe wouldn't. Maybe the, the, the problem is what a special yeah. is. Because, like, maybe, I don't yeah. think it really functioned as a thing of, like, look, right. everyone, rando audience, people that don't know who yeah. this is should watch this. Yeah. But if I was a niche, like you know musician or something like that where things yeah. are more you seek out the artists i was yeah. like this is kind of like i mean it's just so narcissistic and like totally. navel gazy but like in there I'll, i like music that's like that i literally listen no, to totally. shoegaze, and that's the you point know? of it i think right and yeah it's, and it's definitely beautiful that's why i'm like it's not bad i just it's... hesitate to like apologize for him in any way yeah. and i also has it like oh no and i'm definitely not apologizing i'm really just asking you guys as performers but I am. and i'm like i hesitate to do it though because i can feel all this pressure from all these fucking people at you that ask you why louisa yeah. why do you hang out with jake flores and all these people? And it's like <laughs> I'm just well, I'm people just, don't ask me that all i'm just time. trying to get to the fucking <laughs> truth but i feel yeah. so hated in this world well, man i think mm. that like uh and this is why i really think it's a lot broader than than uh when people talk about what is stand-up what is comedy you know like there's stand-up where um you have moments um i've talked to comics who have done like hour-long stuff that's just stand-up and they'll say like yeah. well in the middle you got to do like a long story you got to let people breathe let yeah. them not laugh for a while so what is that moment when people aren't laughing you know, uh, I mean, I don't think every comic would agree with that about letting them breathe in the middle. Yeah, I, always, I feel like <laughs> that's an excuse people make for, for putting their best stuff strong at the, in the middle. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's where that's the safest place to do your yeah. material is in the middle. Yeah, yeah but it, but I've, I don't I mean, in, uh, I'd much rather watch a set that beats the shit you know out of me. Like the it's whole time. honestly, um, 
every the way that I say what is good comedy is not really what is my preference, right? Like my preference is set a punchline, but I do purposely watch comedy that I think I won't like because I just want to be aware of the whole picture of everything Mm -hmm. that anybody I talk to when they think comedy, what could they be thinking? Could they be thinking puppets? Could they be thinking, you know, whatever. So I want to know. But I think what does make it good comedy or not is purpose, right? Yeah. If you purposely selected to have all of these words, these 10 words in there, it's because you chose them. Like there's, um, I think I'm always fucking quoting Yates and whatever, but Yates would always say like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a fucking nerd. (laughs) I just every once in a while I remember we're talking about the dumbest art form ever. I know. Yates would have said. said, (laughs) I know. There's several, right? Which is, uh, one was he would say like, um, you can't play tennis without a net. Right, mm. which without, mean, a without a net, without, yeah, a, net. without <laughs> a net, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which basically means uh, you have to have the basic format of the rules of the game in yeah. order to be playing the game, right? And so comedy happens to be a game, let's say, that is constantly moving those lines and pushing that net and wondering whether we can change this paddle for something else and like you know adjusting it. But you have to keep enough parts of it where it is still tennis. Right? Yeah, well, exactly, and I, right, you know what I mean. And so I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing that's a Yates thing is there shall be no wasted words, right? Uh In every single set that you do, there should not be ums and what was I talking about and what else? Oh, and here's another thing. Those are all not purposeful words that just came out of your mouth to fill out space, to help you remember, to help you basically fucking flounder on stage. I kind of agree, but I also think that there's something to be like... Um, but if you purposely put in an um, then you purposely put in an um. If you purposely put in... But or also if you're purposely right? relaxed, you know, you're purposely having yeah, a moment with the totally. audience where you're allowed to... Um. Yeah. Well, I, that's not what I was going to say, though. Yeah. I was going to oh, say go. that there's some artists that are messy, and if you ask right, them to right. clean it up, you wouldn't get the gold that they're able to right. generate by being messy on yeah. stage. But I would say that's purposeful. That would be like oh, saying okay, sure, sure. a Pollock is messy... It's, a, it's yeah, purposeful yeah. splashing. That definition of messy. Right. Yeah. It's I mean, a bunch of ums. Yeah. yeah it's right. very purposeful ums. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my only point is that the purpose isn't always going for a laugh in every word. That's and true. And you can have a few words later, we are going yeah. for a laugh. But here, and that's like with me, uh, I mean, th- I'm doing a show about how autism is a social construct. Sure. I would love if I was able to do that and like set up punchline jokes an hour of that, but I that's, don't think you could. Yeah, you yeah. really can't. Yeah, you no, need to take a can. step back. And, and I'm not saying that you should be able to, or yeah. that it doesn't make it comedy if you don't do that. So really, what you and I are talking about is a difference in rhythm, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm saying I do really like that fast rhythm of set up punchline super fast and no no space at all in between. It doesn't mean I don't think a slower rhythm of that is extremely valuable. <laughs> if you look at it like a Ted Alexandro or I hate to defend Che, but Michael Che. Has <laughs> um, anyone ever made a like a, like a Che Guevara T-shirt uh, with Michael Che? He actually yeah, made T-shirts he for oh. Spike yeah. Lee, oh and God. Spike Lee was go- or Spike Lee was going to give him a deal making T-shirts. He never called him, wow. uh, and then good people should stop c- calling yeah. Spike Lee. But, um, they are both go- comics who are really good with silence, you know, who are yeah, really yeah. good with just like. Staying silent on the stage, just looking at the audience for f- 45 seconds of their whole set. And they're just like, yeah, no, I'm not stressed. <laughs> I'm just waiting till I want to talk. And <laughs> everybody has to wait. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of times the um and the what's and like the filling in with little details of shit 
betrays your own nervousness right. and insecurity with silence. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I enjoy some comics that are so slow in that rhythm that sometimes it's a dead stop. But they know how to like pick it up again and be like, like it's purposeful. It's That's all it is. It's building tension. It's purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as to the point about the the middle, right. doing the store in the middle, as Yates once said, the center cannot hold. Ah, uh, that wasn't Yates. <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, no, that was like some science guy, wasn't it? I forget. I don't know. So I somebody that was in the oh, nerd tweeted us. I don't think so. Well, but well, we'll yeah, someone tweeted. <laughs> it would have been yeah. a sick burn if anyone understood I love it. <laughs> I don't remember, but maybe it this sounds is, familiar. This is all kind of reminding me of something. There's a, there's a couple of things that. I thought about a lot when I watched uh, the net and also when I watched uh, uh, slide into my DMS by Drew Michael. Um, <laughs> the one thing was, uh, so somebody once described stand up to me as um, the audience is the instrument. Um, mm. Yeah. And it's and like, just blew us away. <laughs> and I really liked it because you know, what you're doing is you're standing up there and you're bouncing all this shit off of this which she thing. talked about right yeah yeah <laughs> i fucking want to hang out with hannah gatsby now yeah no no like no I, we would have great <laughs> conversations with hannah we um, would get into good arguments <laughs> and so to take the instrument out of the thing in that yeah. way with like drew michael special yeah. like yeah it's like someone playing the thing with no strings or something yeah. like you you lose like well what is the point of this dude this point, i 100 percent right? agree but then okay see i'm so torn on this drew michael special because if you think about what you just said and then you add the dimension of him being deaf, right? Yeah. Oh, that is cool, yeah. And the fact that he usually is separated from his audience. Why wasn't this special called Deaf Comedy Jam? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> no, but really, right? Yeah. Like, if that had been the center right? of... If, that well, had if been they had brought theme, it around yeah. to, like, that's the separation that he feels from the people around him and yeah. from his own audience where he doesn't always get to hear exactly what they meant and what their feedback was. Right. But they didn't, though. It's like left like maybe they meant to point to that, but they didn't enough. You know, wh you know what I think that yeah. might be is because he doesn't want it. He's so comfortable talking sure, about yeah. it, but he doesn't want to be the deaf comedian, right? Because he's not fully on that side. Yeah. I and absolutely want to be the deaf comedian up <laughs> 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 oh, there with a big horn in my ear. <laughs> Can Did I hear you say that one more time? Right. <laughs> Imagine not having to listen to anybody else's set. Fucking open. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So sorry, I can't. <laughs> yeah, no, well, he's but, got that. That's what I mean. But Yeah, but that's because there are all these people, and this comes back to, I think, this is kind of a maybe a separate conversation about identity, but there's so many people who are shades of this one thing that is deaf. Yeah. You know, there's shades of this the being oppressed being, by mm -hmm. masculinity. They're not the most extreme yeah. example that can be tokenized, but there's a lot of gray area there that people are uncomfortable kind of exploring. Um, so I think that would have been a very strong special. Absolutely. Yeah, I was called a white person at the West Indian Day Parade yesterday, and I was like, God yeah. damn it, yeah. only exactly. in this yeah. setting am I a white person. <laughs> right. Can't deny you. You're right. Mm -hmm. I look white. I'm the whitest looking person here. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, I it's, could, it's in theory, the I could the worst be a Spaniard. Thing you can be I know, exactly. Time, that's what they're going to call yeah. you. And, uh, I was like, oh, guys, I thought I, was, I thought we were on the same side. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here eating delicious fried chicken. No. Yeah. I was hanging out with somebody the other night who was like a guy who was like agreeing with me on everything. Yeah. And he was like, man, you get it. We're white men. And oh, I was like, no. I mean, white ki kind of. Like, I don't want to have this conversation again. Well, you know? that's the worst. I think it's actually fucking Victor Bernardo that talks about that because he's a Is albino. albino. He's a black albino. So he talks. He has like a whole bit about how um, white people will just start talking around him and not realize that he's black and then he's like uh hello hi i'm black <laughs> and he has to like explain like yeah that happens to me all the time to be like um hi i don't agree with that thing you just said at all not at all 
<laughs> All right. Well, we should probably wrap it up here. Um, We're not going to talk about Louie? What's up with that? Let me take a piss. and We'll talk about <laughs> Louie. All right. Well, uh, to um, round things out here, we should a- address the elephant in the room standing in front of the door to the room uh (laughs) jacking off its trunk at us um (laughs) as long as we're going to talk about comedy i think we should talk a little bit uh in depth about louis um and the you know basically what happened uh last week where he was suddenly um just reappearing and doing stand-up as if nothing was wrong um there's a lot of uh implications here um how do we get into what we were just talking about in the hallway (laughs) If he had, well, we're talking about if he had, I mean, so I think he needs to, I, a lot of people have said this, that he needs to, like, try to make things better uh, for the women he um, did that to and, like, you know, actually try to make an effort in his personal life uh, to maybe get involved in cause, uh, something yeah. like that. But, uh, but what we're talking about. such a weird one to me, though, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, here's, here's. Well, it raises a lot of questions of, like, what. Well, here's the well, thing. I don't know. It's like a real paternalistic, shitty thing because I don't. The truth is, I don't think he can undo what he did, right? And if he were now like, well, I'm gonna have these women open for me, they don't want to no, be around no, him. No, no. Like, no. <laughs> or yeah. if he was Maybe like, not that. I will produce your special and put it on my website and whatever, and give you my platform, then it's still fucking paternalistic and shitty, and they will always have his name attached to their work and. So I just don't think that there's a way that he can actually like. What is a way? That well, he but could that actually I mean, just being open about. Maybe he could do this through comedy. Being open about the way they were silenced, right. the people he talked to, yeah. And you get people like me who are going to have to confront the fact that I heard about this in 2014, yeah. and I was like, oh, hope that's not true. Yeah, I'm going to keep watching Louis C.K. Right. You yeah. know, um, but I, I think you know we were talking a lot about um, yeah. how this would be a very powerful stand-up act to actually address it. Well, and for him particularly, I guess what I was telling you before when we were off mic is um, even more than the argument that people want to have about whether he deserves a platform and whether he deserves to make a living and all this shit, it's more that if you really believe in uh, comedy, the art form, and defending a comedian's right to make his art, what he did last week was not that. He did not, he, first of all, he didn't, it's not like he had a show where he was like, hi, I'm back. Whoever wants to pay for a ticket to come see me, you can come see me. He dropped in. (laughs) As he is wont to do. (laughs) Yes, against their will. (laughs) I mean. He did the whole set in front of the door. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, Yeah. And then for him to. He had Gerard Carmichael direct it. (laughs) (laughs) But for him to go up and basically after a decade, because I don't know if you guys, did you, either one of you ever see his HBO special? Like from fucking 15, 20 years ago? uh, No. When he was on HBO on like a showcase, mm. I think I saw a bunch of his old. And shit. he used Not to sure. wear like a suit jacket, like a sports jacket. The one where he was like, um, he was sweaty. I don't even armpits. got no money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was not funny. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was not good, right? Yeah. So it he took him a really long time to find his voice, and when he found his voice, and the voice that made him millions of dollars was this voice of being our inner id, right? Or being the one who's speaking the dirty truths about the parts we don't like about having children, about the parts we don't like on, like, literally the body parts on our loved ones we don't like, our inner perversions, our... He just... He was out there talking about dicks and talking about not being able to keep his fucking demons in. And that's why we loved him. 
And for him to get up on stage and become Jerry Seinfeld and be like, I'm going to talk about tipping waitresses and airline food or whatever the fuck he talked about. That's a betrayal of his audience. That's why it seemed so pathetic that he, like, it's, it yeah. really seemed like he just wanted to do comedy again yeah. and not yeah. to continue but anything. But he wasn't he was, courageous. Yeah. Any of the things and that well, he was brave for doing. And he didn't he show that he it. was thinking, supposedly, as he was like, I'll just go back and think about all the things I did. No, you didn't fucking think about shit, bitch. Because right. you didn't talk about it. You didn't process it. You didn't. And, you know, one of the things I said to you guys, outside, like, imagine if he had come back and talked about it and killed and been hilarious <laughs> talking about it. We would be so conflicted right now because <laughs> we would have to <laughs> yeah. be like, holy shit, but he makes a good point, And that was really funny. <laughs> and now we have this point of view to hear about like a well, remorseful pervert. <laughs> to, to circle back on something I was yeah. just, we're just, this is the recap of the hallway, yeah. I guess, the end of this podcast. But like, um, you know, in a, in a way, a lot of people are conflicted right now yeah. because there's something that happens when this happens, you know, when a person is revealed to have, uh, you know, been a monster where uh, I think a lot of people have the tendency to, because we have this thing where we identify through which pop culture things yeah. we like or whatever to go oh hey i never thought he was funny you know um and if you never thought he was funny that's fine uh, i think you should also ask yourself whether you think like john lennon was a good musician yeah. whether like you know david bowie <laughs> whether was you have good, any taste at all uh, whether you know like whether <laughs> whether you really subscribe to this idea that uh, the person's work was yeah. absolutely tied to that um but it's causing you know a lot of things to happen with uh, looking back on his material and i think there's a split where a lot of people feel rightfully betrayed by some of the things that he was saying because they were yeah. predicated on the idea that he was he a felt like guy. a monster but he wasn't one yeah and so now when you go back and watch that stuff it's going to be like oh no this he guy was, was lying yeah. right but there yeah. is some stuff where he like part of what i thought was interesting about what he was doing was that he was sort of talking about being a monster um and yeah, he was showing it to us. He was being vulnerable. And it was clearly a part yeah. of himself that he hated. He talks about hating it. Mm -hmm. That's the part that I think is still relevant. Yeah. The part where he's like, oh, I'm cool, though, was yeah. annoying. Like, there was a lot of shit that he did that was self-aggrandizing that I think now yeah. is should be destroyed forever. It's really fucking bad. Yeah. But there is stuff, you know, the, 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 this weird, you know, grotesque person that was on stage trying to come to terms with himself and try, trying to show us, you know, the weird inner, you know, workings of his guts and stuff that like on some level, I don't know. I, I, I wish that, uh, yeah, he would have come back and sort of doubled down on that shit yeah. and then been, yeah. you know, well, I also don't think he should come back though. I don't think he should have been allowed to come back because he's a fucking workplace hazard now. Yeah. And this I is agree. a workplace. And ultimately, if you want to get more abstract about it, um, the place that I always land is I think um, as it is, most comedy industry and even comedy fans are not really doing enough to see what's really out there. Like uh, most people want to find particular favorites to idolize and follow forever. And I do think that fans and bookers alike you have to get past that and realize when your favorite is no longer viable and is no longer working and is no longer funny there are literally hundreds and hundreds of comedians out there who are working really fucking hard and who are very funny and who are very likable and talking about new different things that 45 or however old louis is is not talking about so it's just a wasted platform for me. Yeah, you know? I mean the the structure itself of you know comedy and booking and yeah. clubs like that is so like fucked up to begin with. Yeah. But like to speak to that point, 
really a sad truth of this is that yeah. there is such an overabundance of talented comedians at any given time that you really have no excuse to keep booking one that you know is a threat to anyone. Exactly. Every, all of us are extremely disposable. Exactly. And if you fuck up, you really, I mean, yeah, sorry. You know? Yeah, on to the next one who doesn't fucking jerk off at people. <laughs> yeah. You know? I still think, though, that there's a possibility that he will, you know, I think, uh, 10 months or whatever was a little soon but maybe in a year or two he yeah. will be able to come oh, back he'll with come something back. He'll be yeah fine. He's and, be and fine. He do- I hope he does that yeah. though I hope he does because like and there are really? people who are saying that like uh, oh you know he should you know just go away forever yeah um, but like if if you take I, I think of the me too thing as kind of like uh, tr- it needs a truth and reconciliation process like there was after apartheid like there's gonna be Millions How of men well out did there. How that uh, post apartheid? Uh, <laughs> well, sure, <laughs> but in theory, like a uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, uh, I'm gonna take the opposite side on this one and be like. Honestly, there's no room to give a shit about how somebody can make their way back through redemption because that's not it's not the point of society. It's not like if you are stuck on how can this one person redeem themselves. You are idolizing this person. Yeah, but yeah, it's not about no, him. Yeah, honestly, it's about the the millions of people out there who have do- or who have victimized yeah. people sexually, well, and they're going to exist. I mean, yeah. we could execute all of them, but we I don't I don't know no. what the answer is. Sure, but, but we got to have heart that's going to two different like, things yeah. here, which is Louis as a person being rehabilitated into society yeah. Yeah. and being rehabilitated into being a fucking millionaire comedian. And I think on you know, for all I think about society, I think that like in he should be rehabilitated into society on some yeah. level. He should be allowed to live a life, and that life may, you know, consist of him somehow being creative yeah. in a way that doesn't like threaten other people. But, but being rehabilitated as a him. comic, there's no fucking. Also, he already he should be in prison, like yes. according to our fucking laws. So this is what I'm saying is. There's nobody stopping him from making a living. Nobody's putting him in jail. He made all his own shit anyway. Yeah, nobody is keeping him from anything. So if he decides to make a new special and put it on his website and 100,000 people want to buy it, 100,000 people will buy it. You know what? 100,000 people also buy that Drake, whatever, KKK dude shit. It doesn't mean... (laughs) Drake KK? What's his name? You know, (laughs) the head... (laughs) Drake Michael. I don't know who you're talking about. No, the guy that's like David Drake? Is that his name? Oh, uh, you're beautiful, James no. Blake. No, no, not that guy. David Whatever. Draymond from Disturbed. No. <laughs> One of the head KKK guys. Do you get it? Oh, David I don't Duke. Know. David oh, Duke. There okay, we go. Yeah. That's his name. I'm not good Halloween costume. David Drake. <laughs> David. Drake. <laughs> <laughs> the mashup of those two people. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so not good with. Isn't these. that a comic? David Drake. Something. No, uh, something uh, Drake. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Drake but yeah, um, I forgot what I was saying because oh. we got to carry it out. <laughs> on oh, 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 yes. So anytime people want to just get stuck on this, like, how how do we give him more permission to be rehabilitated and redeem himself? He's fine. Nobody's saying anything. The thing is, you get to go out there and make a joke, right? And tell a joke. And if everybody in the fucking room wants to be mad at you about it, that's the response that you got to your joke. It doesn't mean you can't do another joke in another place in the future one day. But it's up to you to get them to not be mad well, <laughs> that you, know, you made a joke. What bothers me about all these apologists is that they use the word career a lot. Like, uh, you have a right to a career. Right, because, like, oh, exactly. it's such a sacred thing. That so, and this, you know, fucking bang the gong and uh, word of the day for this podcast or whatever. Yeah. It has to do with fucking capitalism, yeah. where we have a, a, a worship of, you know, building a career that yeah. elevates you above other people. And, oh, he's a great artist, so he has his great career. So what a tragic thing it would be if he lost that career. Yeah. But he could still be who he is. Yeah. And on some level, you know, 
work through what he's working through and still probably be pretty creative. He doesn't have a right to yeah. being rich off of it or anymore. to be liked. None of us really did to begin with. Yeah, he didn't like, really have that to begin with. He just yeah. happened to be up there. You know, that's not the point of society. Like saying like oh, he has the right to just everything for everything to go back to the way it was, and it's like no, no, he doesn't. What is yeah. that? Sounds nice, and like everybody would like that, or he would like that for sure. But it's not on the table. <laughs> also, it, yeah. I mean, it would render him if he just. You know, went back yeah. and started doing the Seinfeld shit at clubs. It would render him a much shittier comic. He yeah. wouldn't have the. He would go purpose. back to the way he was before yeah. he found the. the He'd voice. be the fucking yeah. I have a peach guy again. But yeah. I think that's exactly what he fucking did at this goddamn yeah. fucking. I'm like tipping waitresses. That's what you. Uh, I'm so mad about it. That's I don't what know. he's thinking of. Maybe I mean maybe I don't want to do the psychoanalysis thing, but maybe he just is uh, preventing himself from actually processing it and actually thinking. No, about No, I genuinely it. do think that he thinks it will just go away yeah. because it has gone away for all of history. Most of the time when any, any man had a, pro and that's the thing that's crazy is you don't know how many people in general, women especially have lost their full ability to have a career and to make a living mm -hmm. because somebody called them a whore yeah. because it came out that they were kissing a man on the street because it, you know, because they were gay because whatever you literally lost all ability to make a living. So all that's happening is that historically there's now consequences for the first time ever for established white men to have to deal with after their actions. And they're the same. You know, I don't know if I said this last time I was here, but one of the problems with SJWs in general or like all kind of people who are um, striving for equality is that they tend to think that equality is the achievement of privilege for all. Yeah. And it's <laughs> really not. Yeah. It's really not. Equality is the loss of privilege for all. Equality is all of you up here who were immune to the rules that we all live, to, live by, you lose that, and now you're down here with us, and that's you have the, the same fucking problems the we have. The fucking American dream. And yeah. so what these no because rules, these yeah. people think of yeah. that shit as the American dream, they think they they're be depriving people of yeah. the American dream. Mm -hmm. Whereas the you know the, the dream should be oh yeah. a society that works for everyone, et cetera, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Listen to a fucking socialist podcast. Totally. Um, <laughs> and that, that's why that that logic falls apart at that level. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I think we uh, we got to wrap up just because we're on a time crunch or whatever. But um, we should do. We should come back. We should talk about comedy more. Yeah, honestly. anytime. Whenever yeah, you guys yeah. have a comedy <laughs> dilemma, I'm happy to weigh in. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about whatever That's the all I do on Twitter. Controversial, <laughs> problematic special of the week is next week. You know, there will be one. Whether it's uh, you know, Joe Parra finally gets taken down <laughs> or something. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, oh God, I love him. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, um, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, you have anything to plug? This is going to come out tomorrow. We should plug the oh, show. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I run a weekly show called Too Many Cooks. It's the best show in the city. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, it's every Wednesday at 9 p.m. and Lucky Jacks. Tomorrow, Jake Flores is going to be one of our guests. As long as I don't turn on the audience. Yes, I <laughs> gave him some rules. You know how I like tennis. I don't um, turn on <laughs> Listen, I give everybody a lot of warnings. All right, what all are right, you doing? What enough. are you doing? Uh, yeah, so tomorrow we're going to have Jake. So come by. It's a really fun time. And it's free as hell cool oh and uh my twitter is luisa diaz nuts d-i-e-z nuts follow me it's hell fun. yeah mm -hmm. and when you say tomorrow that'll be that'll oh wednesday wednesday this yes yes out. today wednesday the fifth today wednesday yeah if you're in new york uh anders you got anything at andersley here on twitter uh if you are in brooklyn and you need someone to help you move <laughs> <laughs> and you have a hundred dollars. That would be great. <laughs> Perfect. I will do that. I have no money. 
And I uh, would love to do Dummy more, the solo show I just did in Edinburgh. You can find out about it online. I would love to do it more. I literally cannot uh, go anywhere to do it because I don't have any money. So I can't mm. come to your city and do it there. I would you love to. What you should do is if somebody asks you to uh, to help them move, you, you show up and you do show. dummy and go. That was very moving, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Boom. dummy. It was great. Yeah. It was very moving. Right. Where? What is moving? Huh? We're gonna. This is the future of moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Film it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the future of comedy. Um. Cool. All right. Well. Uh. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm Jake Flores. I'm the host of this podcast. You know who I am. Um, fucking my pinned tweet has all my upcoming dates on it. Obviously, yeah, I'll be at uh, Too Many Cooks today as this is coming out in Manhattan. Um, check up with me for tour dates. I always put on my pinned tweet. Um, listen to the podcast. Sign up for the Patreon. I Again, just to talk about something about, uh, real quick before I get out of here. Uh, that thing that happened a month ago where Patreon booted a bunch of people fucking happened again. So if you got booted and, you know, you're having issues with your bank that they haven't resolved yet, d- d- uh, hit me up. DM me. Email poddamnamerica at gmail.com. Leave an email? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just send you the files until we figure this shit out. Um, but uh, thanks to everyone that's been fucking subscribing uh listening to the show in general listening to the patreon episodes um yeah i'm really excited we've been like growing a lot and i keep meeting you guys at shows and it's very fucking cool i'm very stoked about it um so yeah good good night and um have your pets spayed and neutered or something i don't know that's the end of the show (laughs)